Hey! Dad. Here. Thanks, Mom. A land is only as good as its leaders. Somebody help me! Hey, leave him alone. A true king is brave and noble. Don't be a hero. I'm the king around here. You have more battles yet to fight. How far as you can go? We've got you now! And welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Ifstecker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined once again by my mom, Beth Greenfeld, for part two of Media Evil's King Arthur Babies miniseries for our discussion of The Kid Who Would Be King. So, Mom, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me again. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself for anyone who has not heard you on the show before and about why you wanted to talk about this uh, particular film? I'm actually very proud of myself this week. I'm supposed to be finishing a novel and I signed up for this class and it's just wonderful. And now I have finished dates and I'm, I'm working every day for hours and hours and hours. So very happy with myself. I wish I could remember why I wanted to do this movie. I know I saw it and I adored it. And parts of it just sort of flipped through my brain all the time. And then finally, one day I said to myself, Arthur, it's medieval. Tell Sarah, who was very receptive. So that's why we're here. And I actually had, I think before you actually mentioned it to me, I'd actually already seen it because I, on a whim, watched it on a plane back when I went on planes regularly. I can't remember where I saw it, and it very well might have been a plane. Hmm? But not when I was with some planes. Right, right. Right. Might have been. So The Kid Who Would Be King came out in 2019 and stars Louis Ashbourne Circus as Alex, who is Andy Circus's son. I had no idea because I didn't know his name. And I don't think I, I didn't until I looked in, up. I don't think I looked on IMDb for every single character in a movie in those years. No, well, and it's also that I didn't know either until I just record the names of the stars, even if they're people who I don't anticipate that I know from everywhere because I think it's polite to at least list the you know three or four main characters in a film and then when I saw his name I said huh is he related to Andy Serkis and indeed he is. One of the reasons I like movies like this is I love seeing kids who have no background in this and all of a sudden I've never seen them before and and there they are and they all do a wonderful job it's great. Yeah, no, I haven't seen any of the kids in anything else. So it also has Tom Taylor as Lance, Dean Shimo yes, as Butters. Oh, I yes, have? Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Ah, what? Ah. When they're in the schoolyard and they're trying to decide whether or not they want to be part of the army at the end, mm-hmm. for a tenth of a second, maybe, there's Will Parry from the um dark is dark materials oh fine literally under a tenth of a second right and he's not a named character or anything so he really is there for a pan and there he is and i said i know him (laughs) 
That's very, but yeah, I did not, I did not, I wasn't even really paying that much attention to the other kids. Wow. But yeah, so Tom Taylor as Lance, Dean Chumu as Betters, Rihanna Doris as Kay, Angus Embry as Young Merlin, and Patrick Stewart as Old or Adult Merlin. And I'm trying to decide whether I think that Merlin is sometimes young because they find that charming or whether it's that Merlin is sometimes young because they couldn't afford to hire Patrick Stewart for the whole movie. I thought it was the other way around because he does talk about the fact that the older he gets, the younger he is like Benjamin Button. But I think they made that up. Right. But I think (laughs) they have him coming in as old when he has a particular point that he wants to make or a particular sense of gravitas and authority. But I'd I'd have to track it. Yes, but in terms of the overall, you know, filming of this movie, I I kind of have to wonder if it is in part that they just, as I said, could not afford to hire Patrick Stewart for the full movie. But I think he's also a better foil for Morgana because that's how she knows it. Right. Okay. So he sort of makes sense in those scenes, but I think, I mean, and maybe it's that also, I think they don't like the dynamic of all of these children wandering off with some random old guy. (laughs) Though, I don't know, a bunch of 12-year-olds wandering off with a 16-year-old is also kind of weird, so. Right, yeah. But yes, so Patrick Stewart as older Merlin who appears on occasion. So Merlin is sometimes a teen, sometimes Patrick Stewart, and sometimes an owl. And then Rebecca Ferguson as Morgana. Lady Jessica in Dune. Yes, 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 yes. So at this point, we can get into the enumeratio or recap, where we go through the overall plot of this film. So we start with our opening voiceover, which retells the story of Arthur. It talks about how Britain was once ruled by King Uther Pendragon. He united Britain or whatever. Then he died without an heir, leaving the country lost and leaderless. Ironically, we're recording this two days after the Queen of England died. And they have a new leader already. Very Johnny on the spot. (laughs) At a a sprightly young 73. (laughs) Didn't go for a 12-year-old for some reason. Merlin created Excalibur, which revealed the true heir, which is what turns out to be Uther's long-lost son, Arthur. Morgana, who is Arthur's half-sister, then turns to sorcery in order to fight him, is ultimately defeated, but vows to be back when the land is lost and leaderless once again. So I'm going to keep talking about this. This film is weirdly pro-hereditary monarchy, or at least some sort of monarchic rulership. Well, I think it makes believe it is. And then at the end says, just fooling, we're not. And I think there are other parts where they really are against the idea of your father was great, you're going to be great too. Yes. So there is some challenge to the idea of it being necessarily dynastic, but it does still weirdly presume that monarchy is a good thing. And I find it especially weird because it's not even exclusively talking about Britain because the voiceover that we are not the voiceover right after that, right. As we kind of go from the opening thing to seeing Alex for the first time, 
we have the radios talking about how there's dictators and strongmen all over the world and it never has things been so unstable. Are we in favor of like the British Empire returning? No, I think we're in favor of having a leader, a strong leader, a good leader. And I think I of think the, the world movie is setting up a no, not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, you fight where you are. You do what right. you can where you are. But no, I don't think it wants, wants one giant world leader. I mean, even Arthur wasn't that either. But I think no. it wants, but it, does, it seems to think that you need someone who's going to rally and ally the good folks and turn the bad folks right. into good folks. Yes, I think that is what it's overall saying. I I think that there are weird implications about that being essentially a kind of single non-elected ruler in ways that I think are slightly problematic, but probably not intentional exactly in this children's movie. And the other problem is you're starting with that you want to have an avatar of Arthur. Right, who is a monarch. So far you can get away. From, well, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. It's, an, it's a, oh. things like King David, maybe they were kings, maybe they were tribal leaders and they're like little community. Well, but they're drawing on the original, they're drawing on, or not the original, they're drawing on the legend story of Arthur, which, as I've said many times in this podcast, doesn't have much to do with the historical Arthur, assuming there was a historical Arthur, who probably was basically a kind of local warlord who maybe united right. a couple of tribes. Yeah, that's what yeah. I said, like the real King David, that's all they are. Right, right. But I think this film is very much more drawing on the legend of King Arthur, who is he united all of Britain and all of that. But I think the other thing that really that it's subverting its own, own things is that it says at least twice, you need to rewrite the legends. The legends are right. partly written, as we know, by the people in power to make sure they stay that way and that everybody else is still oppressed. And you have to rewrite the legend for your time, for your message. Mm-hmm. And of course, we do end with it literally being rewritten, in fact. <laughs> we have Alex, our main character. He's 12. He is starting some very fancy and preppy looking school in London. His best friend, Betters, is being bullied by a couple of the older students at the school, Lance and Kay. And so I think my, my vague impression is that they're 12. The other kids are, the uh, other kids are like, what, 14, maybe? That sounds about right. Something like that. Yep. Alex manages to rescue Betters. And then also, you know, Lance kind of hits him. And then he goes after Lance and, you know, jumps him from the back, which is arguably not very honorable. Yay. <laughs> That's what you do but, you know, when still, you're still younger. No, still, yay, good for him. And all of them end up getting detention. So he goes home and he tells his mom about this. I think his mom is trying her best, but I was really infuriated by her in this scene because uh, she says, uh, you know, what's going on? And he says, well, it's because they were bullying betters. And so then I fought back and she said, why didn't you tell them that? And he said, well, because that would have made everything worse. And she goes, oh, telling the truth and doing the right thing never makes anybody anything worse. And your father would have said that too. She is absolutely wrong as somebody who was bullied constantly as a child. Nope, never snitch on the bullies. It will always make things worse and it certainly won't make it better. 
No, the only thing to do with the bully is punch him in the back. Mm. I mean, they nearly killed betters by holding him upside down and mm-hmm. then dropping him. They could have broken his spine and made him paraplegic forever. You know, it's it's hard to think you should be nice to them, turn oh, no. the other cheek, or or God knows what would happen if you snitched. You yeah, that they just beat you up bullies. harder. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, mom, mom is absolutely wrong. After detention or, you know, during detention, right? Lance is threatening Alex and they go after him as they leave and end up basically chasing him into this abandoned construction site, which, uh, do you remember the Animorphs books, mom? No. <laughs> okay. So it's a series of books that I read when I was probably about this age, give or take a yeah, you know, maybe maybe started reading them a little bit younger. So maybe read them in the kind of 10 to 12 range. But basically it's that there are these aliens who are kind of slugs who go into your brain and take over. So and literal slugs. I mean, they're called yerks, but they sort of look oh. like slugs. They resemble slugs more than anything else. Oh, that's interesting. Go on. And they enter, you know, oh, the host absolutely stole everything from Animorphs. Yeah, okay. I, I okay. thought about so this before. So you knew what I was thinking. Yes. Yeah. No, they, uh, yeah, no, Stephanie Meyer absolutely 100% stole that. No doubt about it. And this series, and this series is certainly older. Yeah, no, she 100% stole that. Uh, (laughs) There are good aliens and the good aliens kind of look like weird blue deer. And uh, they have some technology which allows them to uh, change form that if you like poke at an animal one time, then you can absorb its DNA and you can turn into that animal. So one of those aliens in this abandoned construction site finds these like four teenagers and gives them this power because he's injured and about to die so that they can fight the Yerks. Oh, okay. Anyway, so it has, it's very much like has that energy of the abandoned construction site where one where all of a sudden your life changes. Well, there's another place where they chase him. He very well could be dead. He's lying there on concrete. Yes. And instead of saying, let's call, might be 411, they say, mm-hmm. let's get the hell out of here. Yes. Yes. He absolutely could have been dead or, you know, almost dead and is now dead because they didn't, you know, call the emergency room. They're no, terrible. it's awful. And he's basically playing dead, I think. I and mean, I'm sure it was painful, but I think he does kind of pretend probably to be sort of more unable to get up in the hopes that they will, in fact, just take off. Or just so, have the wind knocked out of him, whatever. Yeah. Know. Yeah. So he, as you know, gets up and is going through this construction site and then finds a sword in a stone Yay! or a hunk of concrete, essentially, and pulls the sword out, puts it into his backpack. And I will say I do at least appreciate the realism that he puts it into his backpack and then stabs it through the bottom of his backpack. Um, There was a lot of funny parts. It was great. But I especially appreciated that realism because uh, part one of this miniseries is a kid in King Arthur's court. And that kid at some point is just has this backpack that is basically like Hermione's bag and Harry Potter. But like, it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to just be like a normal backpack that this kid brought from California. But that actually like he at some point tosses Excalibur in it and just like has Excalibur in this backpack all day. And like nobody notices. It's so weird. Oh, that's okay this is much better so yes i appreciated the realism that like oh the back the sword is longer than the backpack and like stabs through the bottom of the backpack 
So he's got his sword. He shows his sword to betters. We forgot to talk about who directed and wrote this movie. And who did direct and write this movie? I forgot to write that down. Joe Cornish, who also wrote and directed Attack the Block. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Interesting. Very different energies. Yes. <laughs> Clearly very versatile. And had a main actor who I don't think anybody had heard of at the time, but is now quite famous. <laughs> mm, maybe, maybe baby Andy Circus will be very famous in a few years. <laughs> who knows? He was fine. Okay. So at this point, the wicked sorceress Morgana awakens and she's got her this whole tree situation. So that's exciting. It's wonderful. It's very cool. Because she's connected to it. And the more things, she's like connected through it through like some glue sticky thing. And Mm -hmm. she keeps trying to pull herself off and get rid of the sticky thing. I love it. And you see all of these places where these branches start growing or vines start growing around his house. And it seems like she's like using them to spy through. It's very cool. Yes, the trees are unbelievably important in, the, in yeah. this movie. The evil trees. Except Mostly. for the one scene where they're trying to teach the kids how to fence. Is that the word? Fence attack? Yeah, like, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's that the, it's, well, it's that, you know, both Merlin and Morgana, right, have some ability to exert their power through trees. So it depends yes. on who's exerting the power through the trees. Yes, but they they become totally magical things. And of course, it's yes. Merlin who's exerting the power over the tree to keep Morgana a prisoner, right? Right, right. But, but now she's it. kind of taking, she's taking over and, exert, and now exerting her power right. through the trees. So, and she starts sending uh, these uh, demons. So I will note uh, before this, right? So they've looked at the sword. They've read the inscription on the sword. They've Google translated the inscription on the sword. The inscription is Gladius Arturi Filios Tintageli. And I will be returning to that in the Vera et Falso section, which Can I say one thing about before then? Yes. I was so happy in this movie to find out that sometimes they say Tintagel and sometimes they say Tintagel and they have no idea how to say it and neither do I. (laughs) So my inclination is in general to say Tintagel is just that then when I speak Latin, my training, which is in classical Latin, takes over because in classical Latin, a G is always a hard G. Oh, so maybe that's it, because they switch in the middle from, yeah. maybe that's it, that they knew they were doing Latin and then switch to... Maybe, maybe. So I, I will normally, I think, be saying Tintagel, but I, as I said, when I, my, when I, when I read the Latin, my, my Latin instincts take oh, over. No, that's what they did, so they, they yeah. like you. Yep. But well, except that they uh, they clearly don't know Latin as well as I do. As I, I will have some comments on this later, but I'm going to save them. They know, right, that there's something cool about the sword, and that the sword, at least, you know, claims that it's the sword of King Arthur, and therefore so they, presumably this Excalibur. Point is just Alex and his friends. Yes, it's just those two right now. Okay. Yes. And he knights Betters and uh, comes up with the joke that because, of course, Sir Bedivere is one of Arthur's knights, that he knights him Sir Bedivere. It's very funny. It's very sweet. The other thing, by the way, that I will note that I quite like about this is that it has these two, you know, kind of nerdy boys. 
And it consistently acknowledges the fact that they read standard fantasy. And so at some point, for example, they say, you know, we're like Frodo and better says we're like Frodo and Sam, you know, and there's more of that later. Really one of the things I can, should I do this now? When I speak about what I like, we have read you and I and seen movies, you and I about kids and teenagers and young adults who, if they lived in this universe, have clearly read The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And in a million movies and TV, they're just not mentioned. And it makes me crazy. It's like mm-hmm. these people who otherwise are you and me down the block live in this parallel universe where Tolkien and Rowling and Lewis never exist. Right. And the fact that this is so rooted in the context of this is really what they would have seen in the movies, because there's a lot about Star Wars. And this is what the books they would have been reading makes it so realistic that Mm -hmm. then even the magic is more credible because it's so part of our universe and not this parallel one where there's no Lord of the Rings Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I really like that there are that the, that the kids reference, right? The fact that they absolutely, you know, read and know this stuff. Morgana is doing her thing, which also includes that she has these Mortes Miles demons who she is uh, kind of sending out. And uh, we also then, of course, now that Morgana has awakened, so has our new good friend Merlin. He appears out of Stonehenge. <laughs> And travels forth and comes to their school, where he introduces himself as Merton Ambrosius Caledonensis, a perfectly normal contemporary British schoolboy. <laughs> and they're all somehow references to Arthurian legends or Scottish mysteries or something like that. Caledonia, I believe it might be the original Latin name for parts, for some part of Britain. I think maybe it actually, I think it is actually Scotland. That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, so that is that, and Caledonensis, you know, I, I will say more things about Latin in this film later, but Caledonensis is actually like, that basically means like from Caledonia. Yeah. So. <laughs> They, they can <laughs> he's so have funny. that one. <laughs> yes, he's very funny. He's very charming. And I actually like this kid a lot. So, I mean, it's really hard with Merlin. And I learned that, I think, when I read some years ago, the, uh, the Once in Future King, to mm-hmm. find the balance between making him just very powerful, very lovable, very important, and very comical. Yes. And I think this movie sort of carries that off. Yeah, no, I, I think that that is overall quite quite well done. Yeah, I think Merlin is very fun. And I think he's fun and charming as young Merlin. I think he's young and charming as old Merlin. Merlin, Merlin works for me. Mm-hmm. 
So he uh, very uh, relatively quickly reveals himself as uh, Merlin to, uh, so in, in fact, before that, right? So he, you know, does all of this. Everybody's cracking up at him. They think he's ridiculous and an obvious new target for bullying. Better says, let's, you know, says like, let's be friends. And Alex goes, uh, we absolutely are not talking to that boy. Like for once they're bullying somebody instead of us, absolutely not are we right. throwing our lauded. And then of course yep. he yells, uh, yells after him since, uh, <laughs> that he's you know new new arthur alex, and uh, <laughs> which alex is not particularly happy about there's also this whole thing that they hear about the, that there's a solar eclipse that merlin had thought was going to be in four years but in fact is in four days and this is going to be a whole thing <laughs> As he's kind of trying to make this announcement and tell everybody to swear allegiance to Alex, nobody is here for that. And uh, I believe Kay actually is the one who starts by throwing food at him, at which point he turns into an owl. Merlin turns into an owl. Merlin turns into an owl, yes. yes. Merlin will periodically turn into an owl. And where are the teachers? Aren't they in the lunchroom? They're, I mean, how is everybody throwing food? food at Merlin food and 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 nothing happens nobody says anything I mean you really have to half kill somebody before before somebody notices yeah they're pretty hands-off yep <laughs> I mean you know on, on the other hand I've never actually been in an environment where teachers were actually in any way effective at stopping bullying so well more on the teachers later right <laughs> I think at this point, it's 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 uh, here when he has his first encounter with the Mortes Miles, uh, and Merlin rescues him and tries to explain this whole thing to him. And it has to do, it's really very confusing who's allowed out during the day, who's allowed out during the night. <laughs> yes, the Mortes Miles, they can only come out at night. Merlin can only come out, or Merlin has a very hard time if he comes out at night and so normally can only come out during the day but an emergency can pop up at night okay it's also not entirely clear to me under which circumstances and how voluntary it is that merlin turns into an owl oh i have no idea but does he do that in all the arthur legends he does turn into an owl that's not new i thought those were two different things i thought he had an owl yeah, I don't, I, I think there are versions where he has some sort of shape-shifting abilities. Oh, okay. Because I get confused because I read this book by, oh God, forgive me, Helen McDonald, which is partly about how in her grief over her father dying, she raised a hawk. Uh-huh. And partly what a lousy job T.E. White, is that who wrote The Once and Future King? Yes. What a terrible job he did raising his hawk. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, I'm just confusing hawks and owls just all over the place. So I don't Yeah, know. I don't know about owls or hawks specifically, but it is in in it, it is a, it is a part of some legends that he has shape-shifting abilities of some okay. kind. I don't know that it's always necessarily a specific form in this particular way. I thought, actually thought he could usually just shapeshift in general. I'm having a flashback to the beginning of the Once and Future King where Arthur sees an owl. 
but I'm not sure. So we'd have to reread that or look it up. Okay. Yeah, as I said, I think you can just shape shift in general. I don't think it specifically has to be an owl, whereas here that seems like it's just oh, he I has see. old form, young form, and owl form. Okay. But I, I could be wrong about that. There is there's a whole lot of Arthuriana out there. So but that's Yes, there is. <laughs> yes. And it all contradicts each other. Right. So Merlin tells him to go and meet him at uh, the this at Lip Snack and Chicken the next day. His mother, by the way, is alarmed by the fact that he has this sword that he is carrying, uh, and talks about how he she thought he was a good person and not the kind of person who carries giant medieval weapons around. And uh, she's actually right about that, you know. Well, yes, he's twelve. Well, obviously, shouldn't be carrying a sword. (laughs) But she also doesn't do anything. He runs out of the house. She runs out in her pajamas and says, "Stop, stop!" And of course, he doesn't. And that's the end of that. (laughs) Yeah. And then he basically disappears for like several days. Yeah, she she she's put in an uncomfortable situation to advance the plot in the beginning of this book. Yeah. She doesn't act like, yeah, it's bizarre. She seems to be maybe having a bit of a rough time of it in general. Well, you mean because she's raising this boy on his own and has to keep lying to him out of love? (laughs) Yeah, she she seems to be struggling with single parenthood, which I'm sure is very difficult. Oh, I'm sure. You know, she presumably has a full-time job. And she seems very nice and very caring. She's and sort of ineffectual, and it, which also then kind of makes sense, right, that he's of an age, right, where he's sort of approaching puberty. I'm sure that maybe she, you know, he might be having changes in his behavior, which, you know, are things that she hasn't dealt with previously. But he's obviously a good kid. Yeah, yeah. But, and it seems like maybe she just uh, was not prepared to deal right. with that changing, essentially. Right, 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 right. You know, I, I feel for her. Better is Aunt Alex both skip school and uh, go off to Lip Smack and Chicken to see Merlin. The reason specifically that Merlin is at Lip Smack and Chicken is because this is the apparently ideal place for him to find all of the ingredients that he needs for the potion that will restore his strength. Said ingredients are beetle blood, beaver urine, and ground animal bone. The soda contains a dye, which is made from beetle blood. The vanilla in the ice cream, or there's an ice cream or there's a milkshake, there's something, yeah. has beaver urine. <laughs> ah, ah. This, by the way, I will note, I did not look up because I do not want to know if that is accurate. I'll bet the third one is right, right, and the first one is simply a mistake. Well, the, the first I th- one, I, I know where it's thinking. coming from. Yeah, yeah. It's coming from the cochineal. Yes. The first one is coming from something. The last one, uh, basically, it's that, well, it's that essentially these chicken nuggets, at least half of them are basically ground animal bone, which I don't know. I'll buy. Grizzle and bone, bone and grizzle. As I said, the beaver urine as being in vanilla, in like artificial vanilla, I don't know. I didn't look it up. I don't want to know. Please nobody I tell me. I think we have urine and more things then should be, you know, stemming back from the days, what, that they made cloth out of? I mean, they used urine oh, to yeah. color cloth and, mm-hmm. and tan things. And it's probably been in our 
And it's probably better than most of what they put in our water supply, like arsenic. Yeah, well. well. <laughs> but Alex is going to fix that. Right. He provides uh, further information about the Mortes Miles and about Morgana, who he describes as being greed, entitlement, and vengefulness, and who is able to be back on account of the fact that the land is divided, lost, and leaderless. We have the phrase lost and leaderless a lot. Yes, we do. But let me ask you one question. Is Mortes Miles good Latin for thousands of dead people? What it actually literally means is thousands of deaths. Oh, okay. Close the enough. better Latin would be uh, miles mortui, if we were actually referring okay. to thousands of dead people. Okay. <laughs> but yes, as I said, the real thing seems to be we need a leader. Yes. That the leaders we have are, what you call them, strongmen? Yeah. And otherwise, nobody, and you know, this seems to me to ring true. You do need leaders. You do need people who will stand up and say, this is wrong. And that's what I guess it is Britain. Yes. What Britain was missing in whatever year this was made. (laughs) Kind of classic, a classic Brexit moment, actually, I believe. (laughs) uh, Yeah. And, um. Okay. I mean, not all leaders are are fascists, I guess. Right. I guess. <laughs> Theory. <laughs> uh, I mean, and- yeah, probably all the effective ones, but whatever. <clears throat> it's it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy. Right. And this is also the first time that we have Merlin, in order to hammer home the importance of his point, turns into Patrick Stewart, who, again, I just need to know, Patrick Stewart is technically like one of the main characters in this movie, but because he has all of these different forms, I swear they had him for like an afternoon. And he always looks sort of half drunk. It's really weird. Yes. <laughs> and he's just a little disheveled. Yes. Like I, I, it honestly, I think that maybe they like pulled Patrick Stewart out of bed, asked him to be in this movie and filmed all of his scenes in one afternoon without giving him a chance to take a shower first. Or the opposite that Patrick Stewart says, I've got an afternoon free. Can you put me in this movie? Maybe, maybe. I'm trying to think if Patrick Stewart and Andy Serkis have a relationship because in my head they did. And then I realized that Patrick Stewart, in fact, was not Gandalf. No, and he's one of the few people that wasn't in that. And neither of them was in Game of Thrones, which is really probably how they met. There's probably like little groups of, of people who were famous people who were not in Game of Thrones who get together every other Thursday for tea. Well, they actually could both. But I mean, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen are very good friends. And Ian yes. McKellen might know Andy Sir has a, was at least in oh, Lord okay. of the Rings with Andy Circus. And maybe maybe Ian McKellen introduced them. That would do it. That would do yeah. it. Yeah. Ian McKellen, the middleman. There aren't a ton of degrees of separation between this small child and Patrick Stewart. I wonder why that's why people keep talking about Gondal. Oh, no, that must be for the Lord of the Rings. Never mind. <laughs> watching all these things at once. So I'm watching six things having to do with dragons and then six things having to do with magic. And they all get sort of vaguely mushed together in this giant succotash of dragons and magic. <laughs> That's why I don't read that many things, as many things at once as you do. 
So his idea, so what they need to do, right, is he tells them they need to, before this eclipse, they need to find the entrance to the underworld and go into there and defeat Morgana. He says, how the hell am I supposed to find the entrance to the underworld? And then he has the brilliant idea that if he's... Wait, 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 because that's one of the great things about this movie. There are like a million lines that if you wrote them all down and embroidered them on pillows, you, you'd have you'd have your philosophy of life. So the kid says, hey, what's the path to the underworld? And Merlin said, you're the king. The path you follow must be your own. Mm. That he can't tell what the path is. Mm-hmm. He has to find it himself. And that's when he gets the idea to go find his dad. Right, that he realizes, right, that it refers to Tintagel, that that was the last place where he saw his father, and also refers to that King Arthur, Luke Skywalker, and Harry Potter all didn't know who their fathers were and then found out that they came from this special magical family. Yeah, but that's so bizarre when you think about it. To use Luke Skywalker as an example, of somebody who comes from this highly esteemed magical father. I don't want to do a spoiler, but isn't his father Darth Vader? Yeah, but that's a magical family. But that's not who you want to come from. I mean, you do if you want to be a very powerful Jedi, maybe. No, I I think this is my theory about this movie is that it keeps subverting the paradigms it's setting up. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways it's subverting that paradigm is Luke Skywalker's father is responsible for God knows how many deaths. Is he killed, killed, all the that killed all those younglings? And Harry Potter's father, I think we're pretty much convinced that as a human being, Snape was right. He's an arrogant jerk. I mean, I don't want to use the sentence Snape was right literally ever. But other than that. Even so, his father is not so wonderful. No. The person who saved him and put the, you know, kiss of salvation on him to protect him for the rest of his life was not his father. No, it's his mother, of course. And the person who keeps saying, We're always here with you, we've never left you, is his mother. Yeah, but so I mean, they are not. Yeah, they're cracked up to be, and neither was Uther and Dragon. No, but they are both situations in which they have a, a power which their father also have. Although in Harry's case, of course, it's also his mother. Right. So they're they're secret. They're yada yada yada. But they were not good people. No, but I think the, so we, you know, we kind of, we have that, right? But I do think that there is still, right, this idea of that you, you think you're just a regular kid and then you realize that somehow you're special. Right. Which is not true in this thing, which is why I think it's subverting that from top to bottom. Yes. Yes. And that his specialness ultimately is innate and not about heritage, as we'll, as we'll officially learn shortly, unlike for these other two where... It absolutely is that he's Darth Vader's son. <laughs> but I mean, what? That's why he's so powerful. It's because he's Darth Vader's son. Anakin was Anakin was supposed to bring balance to the Force, but then instead he destroyed it. Yeah, but I don't know if that's why the son was so powerful. Anyway, it doesn't. Anakin was born through immaculate conception. What? I met his mother. 
I love no. his mother. Not his father, though. She says that. She says that in the movie. It's one of the like most ridiculous things ever that she said, she got pregnant. I don't know how. She's oh, literally one of those dumb prequels. Yes, literally, Anakin Skywalker is born of a virgin birth. Okay, and Harry is born of some woman marrying down. <laughs> well, in terms of uh, social status, I don't think that's actually the case. Oh, it's just what Penelope says. Well, but she's wrong. I mean, the I mean, all, yeah, of, uh, yeah, yeah, all of Harry's family money actually comes from his father. We have no idea where his money comes from. Well, they, I, I there's Pottermore <laughs> okay, bullshit, anyway. but you know, we we certainly don't actually care what J.K. Rowling says because she's a piece of garbage. But whatever. But it, but it makes sense to me that in one, it's the hero's journey, it's the hero's quest. Yes, I mean, it, it's no standard, and finding you know the secret magical father you didn't know existed is always part of these things. But yes. Anyway, so as they're probably up to where he finds his father here. <laughs> no, because still, so he's, they're about to take off, right? But before they leave, they still, they run into Lance and Kay, who oh, are God, trying, God, who try God. to take Excalibur. And then he says, okay, I'll let you hold it if you let me knight you first. Right. Which he does. And then, you know, immediately then they try to, you know, take the sword from him. But then the Mortes Miles all pop up. And we have our first fight. And oh, the, the way that the, the reason it's so important, right, that they were knighted is that the way the Mortes Miles work or this whole situation works is that once they come out and Morgana's doing whatever her thing is, at that point, all non-knighted humans disappear. Oh, that's why. Okay, so it's because they're knighted that they don't disappear. Yes, it's Alex, Merlin, and anyone that Alex knights. I see. Okay. I'm just going to say one thing about this battle. Other than the battles in The Hobbit, which are all the same, because they use the same footage over and over, every movie that has three battles, I can never remember which was which. So, you know, the one Mithras this and Ghana, I can never tell which came first, how they're different, were they really three battles, one battle? So, <laughs> so I know there were three battles, and I think this is the one where the kid gets knocked off the horse and he's riding it backwards, but I can... No, that's you're the wrong, second sorry. battle. <laughs> that's the second battle. Okay. This is the one where everybody's disappeared and they're in London, right? So they're just on the road oh, and there's all of these this cars. One with the car where the girl drives the car. Okay, I remember this. Yes. And so they ask, you know, can anybody drive? And Kay is the one who volunteers. And at some point they ask her, where did you learn how to drive? And her answer is Mario Kart, which does not inspire a ton of confidence. <laughs> but it was done. But she was fine. She did it. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, so they figure out that you can quote kill one of these people, but they're really dead to begin with. So I think killing yeah. them means they're knocked out of commission for this fight. Yeah, they're basically. It's not clear to me if when the next night the Mortes Miles come back, it's not clear to me if those are the same Mortes Miles or different Mortes Miles, and I'm not right. sure that it matters. Because unlike you know? orcs, they really do all look alike. Right. It, yeah. So I'm not sure that there's, I'm, I don't think it's particularly clear whether it's that they have killed them and now there's 
if, if, it, if it's meant to be taken literally, now there is 999 mortes miles on the wall because they've killed one. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, it's I'm not right. clear to me that there's like precisely right. a thousand and if you kill one, then that one's gone. Or if it's that Got like it. there's however many there are, but like they just pop up and do every night regardless of if you kill them. That makes more sense to me, but it, the right. movie doesn't actually say. Right. If you knock them out of commission, however many there are that pop up that night, once you knock them out of commission, uh, you know, they're they're done. And once you knock them all out of commission, then uh, the people spring back into existence, tied specifically not to the location, but that the car actually counts as a location because oh, right, this right. elderly woman appears under K while she's driving. Oh, and is very confused. <laughs> yeah, as she should be. Right. And as, as I said, parts of this movie were very funny. Mm-hmm. So and they talk through this now. He explains the situation more fully to Lance and Kay and uh, says that it's all destiny. He's supposed to make his enemies into his allies and he's done that with them by knighting them and points out the fact that their names are all very convenient, right? So they're Lance, Lancelot, Kay, Kay, right, and right, Better's right. Bedivere. Is this when they're at the table? Yes, and he says says, we're all sitting. (laughs) And they look down and it's not a round table. It's a normal rectangle table. And somebody says, Eves, leaves, pick them up. Right, lift up the plus. (laughs) And then it's a round table, right? And it's a round table. (laughs) So we begin the quest. Morgana, meanwhile, uh, is planning essentially to bring them down by essentially kind of preying on each of their individual weaknesses. And uh, refers to Kay, she just describes as Callow. Lance is greedy and will try to take the sword for himself. Right. And Betters is, I can't remember the exact word that she, meeked is what she says. Basically, Betters is a wimp is where where they're going with that. Evil people often underestimate the good, though Lance is not so good. Uh, yes. Well, I, I mean, you know, I think part of the point of it, right, is that to some extent she's right, but that they grow through their journey. Right. And I think I think that actually is the point that like, I don't think she's wrong. Right. And Betters is kind yes, of, a win, you know, I mean, you yes. know, Betters is meek. I mean, Betters, Betters never attempt, Alex at least tries to defend himself and Betters. Betters never try. We never see Betters actually really trying to defend himself. Correct. Alex Correct. tries at least. He's not very good at it, but he tries. Right. But I think that's part of the point of, of these journey things. You get your sidekicks, you get your mm-hmm. allies, and none of them are as heroic as you. No, but I but I do also think that that is an interesting part of it, right? That, as I said, right. I think she accurately assesses them. She just doesn't, you know, leave room for growth. Right. Doesn't leave room for growth and change. So they head off to Tintagel. This is where we get the uh, the swordsmanship training that Merlin brings these trees to life. And uh, gets the trees to, uh, you know, basically just like be to just, you know, they're, they're fighting with the trees, right? But the trees are, you know, training them, clearly. It's very cute. Right. Oh, it's a wonderful scene. So like the trees, mm-hmm. I can't do it because I can't gesticulate because no one can see me. <laughs> teaches that yes. the trees faint and parry. So they don't yes. hurt them, but they teach them how to defend themselves. Right. Basic pat- blocking. It's, it's yeah. a great scene. Merlin also instructs them in the chivalric code, which is described as being four principles, honor those you love, refrain from wanton offense. We do get the wanton wanton comment that one would expect. (laughs) Speak the truth, 
and persevere in any enterprise until the end. Whatever the end may be. Whatever the end may be. And we also, at this stage, learn Stonehenge is, in fact, according to this film, is a transport hub built by Merlin. So they go to Stonehenge and then are able to use that to uh, transport to 20 miles outside of Tintagel. Right. And they say that all the standing stones, at least in the UK, are part of this system of being able to go from one place to another. Yes. And I must say, compared to many of the explanations I have heard of the Standing Stones, that makes as much sense as most of them. So sure. I'm on board. I'm on board. Sure, and they're not even exactly magical context. portals because they, they just go to these specific... Uh, yeah, no, I buy it. Yeah. Yeah, he said he describes it, you know, it's like a bus. It's like a magical bus system. Right, 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 right. And he describes Stonehenge as a transport hub. It's like the ones in your book, Wheel of Time. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's like the Waygates. Right. And Merlin built them. Well, I don't think that's true. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because they're all way older than Merlin. I was going to talk about that later. So the training trees, however, because Morgana's got her tree situation, she's able to start taking over and the training trees turn into medieval trees. Uh, While they are fighting and struggling, Lance takes the sword and uh, runs. So that's not going very well at that. You know, they manage to kind of defeat them and defeat the trees uh, in part from with help from Merlin, who's then not doing very well and has to go kind of take off as an owl. Right. That, that that was my least favorite part of the movie because I still don't understand how they won. Was, I think really time. Merlin did it. Oh, I think okay. really Merlin did it. Like oh. that that's the thing is that, you know, it's that, you know, we've got a lot of kind of like Deus Ex Machina moments where just like Merlin shows up and just fixes things. And that's what happens here. But then the, you know, the thing that's interesting about that is that when Merlin shows up and fixes things, like then that's basically like all the energy Merlin's got in him for the day. And now there's no more Merlin. Right. Oh, I remember the trees, they sent out a root for each of them to strangle them and dump them in a hole. So they're all sort of being buried alive until Merlin rescues them. Right. So then they fight and Lance and Alex fight and and Lance breaks Excalibur. No. But Alex calls upon the Lady of the Lake because he remembers that part of the book. And the Lady of the Lake returns it, now restored. And that essentially convinces him, like, all right, maybe this is a legit thing, and I'll try again to be less yeah, legit. No, he's, yeah, he's, he gives in, actually, very gracefully at that point. Yeah. And he swear, they all swear on the chivalric code. They end up getting picked up by a group of nice women riding on ponies, who are just like intense like they're like very lesbian coded like this is clearly like a lesbian pony outing oh i know i did that was just my vibe okay they get like picked up by that and they're like remember that scene i'm gonna have to watch it again and well that's the point right that's why they have the ponies and have this next battle on pony back is that the women give them their pony they have extra ponies for some reason i think so they're all riding together and then because the Mortes Miles comes, all the women disappear. Oh, okay. Right, 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 right. 
the world disappears because they didn't like the lesbians. Okay. Right. They never knight the adults, which I have thoughts about. so. Not always. I think these women would have been great. All right. Well, okay. They really should have knighted the lesbians. But no, they never knight any of the adults. They only knight to... They only, you know, create child armies. So the women all disappear and then they're just on these ponies. And, uh, you know, and this is the chasing that to me, like, feels very Lord of the Rings, actually. What happens? I tell this you, is, battles are not my fort. This is the one where they're they're chasing on the ponies. There's this bit where they trick them all into jumping oh, into the closer. ocean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. They're getting closer. They're getting closer. <laughs> right. And that one, like, that bit very much felt like in Fellowship of the Ring, like the chase when they're going to, when they're trying to get to Rivendell. Right, 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 right. But in this one, the kid, the kid the disappears and it looks like he's jumped into the water and then yeah. the, everybody jumps over the cliff. Yeah. I think that's pretty standard in chasings. Yeah. I think yes. that has happened before. I'm sure. They've managed to then get through the night, and uh, the next day, Alex stores his sword in a stone. I mean, it's very convenient if it's not convenient for you to carry around a sword, you just pop it in any stone. When when all the little kids were trying to get it out. Yeah, especially because it's, like, right outside Tintagel. They probably all think it's, like, a tourist thing. Of course. (laughs) Oh, photo op. So he goes off to find his dad. Instead, he meets his aunt Sophie, who he also does not knight. No, but she didn't know that that was an option. Right. And she's the father's sister. Yes. And she reveals to him that basically your dad was a real piece of shit and was an alcoholic and nobody has any idea where he is. He's a nasty drunk, not just an alcoholic, he's a nasty drunk. Yes, I said, yes, I said he was a real piece of shit first. Those are not necessarily, a piece of shit and an alcoholic are not necessarily the same thing. Right, but they were combined in his personality. Yes. Nasty drunk. Yes, and that he, you know, he's gone, nobody has any idea where he is. And then Alex asks about the book, and Sophie points out to him, which you would think he might have realized that that's actually his mom's handwriting. Right, because... Oh, we didn't even talk about that. In the front piece of the book, somebody wrote to Alex, the once and future king. And he's and convinced it's from his, his dad. mother says the father wrote it. Well, I think it actually is signed, dad. Yes, but the mother wrote the whole thing. I don't buy it. You know why I don't buy it? Because he knows his mother's handwriting from writing on school notes. My kid can't come to school today. I absolutely, at age 12, not only knew your handwriting, but could forge your handwriting. (gasps) Sarah, you inherited something from me. I forged my mother's handwriting. (laughs) Which I I actually, it was always, pretty much always, it was really just that there was something you had to sign and I wasn't hiding it from you. I just forgotten. And I was actually, I was a very good kid. I would sign the thing, hand it in, and then I would tell you. And in high school, I would, in high school, when I had a cell phone, I would actually call you to ask for permission to forge your handwriting. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, no, well, I wasn't as good a child as you. But at any rate, any child really should know, maybe not nowadays with email and text, but any child at that age really should know what their mother's handwriting looks like. It's ridiculous. Right, right. I'm sure they still have to sign forms, right? Somebody with children, let us know. Right. Well, I'm sure, well, Harma, his mother might be good at forgery. I don't know. 
Maybe. Well, but no, but Sophie looks at it and immediately says, that's your mom's oh, handwriting. Okay. So right. she's not even trying. <laughs> and, you know, this is a handwriting analysis that like, oh, it almost looks like your father's handwriting, but something about right. that D is just a little right. weird. It's like, <laughs> your mom's hand. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, dear. So he didn't even try. So I don't, I, that one I don't buy. But the book uh, was great because he keeps oh, yes. opening it and saying, what happens next in the book? That's what I should do. Yes. Yes. Nice. So he uses the book as his, as his guide. So people should always take books so seriously. Yes. Yes. So now he's sad. He is sitting perched at the edge of a cliff, which I looked at and said, and wrote in my notes, wow, that kid on that cliff is going to give my mother specifically a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. I'm not good with heights and cliffs. <laughs> and especially I think you don't like when you or people you know are like sit are like perched on the edge of a cliff with their feet dangling over you know a 50 foot drop I don't even like you you and your father leaning over and taking photographs I can't I, I can't look I can't look. I know but when you were growing up I didn't want to imbibe this fear of heights onto you so if you were dump, doing something unbelievably dangerous, like climbing, climbing a sliding pond, I'd look the other way. So you wouldn't see. You wouldn't see how terrifying that was. And it worked. It worked. Mm-hmm. But yes, that was absolutely my thought when I watched right. this particular scene. But he came through. Came through. He came through. I came through. Yes. Uh, and... You know, people try to, everyone tries to cheer him up. Uh, Better shows him that he can actually do real magic now, that he imitated Merlin doing his like little hand motions and can use that to uh, duplicate metal. Because he videotaped it on his phone. Yes, yes. And said, I'm going to like learn how to copy it. And Merlin's like, all right, I don't know. I'll be impressed if he can figure it out. Well, yeah. So Merlin, when he does magic, does these really bizarre things that look, like a combination of, of disco dancing and um, <laughs> secret handshakes. <laughs> They're really bizarre. And I, I would watch the movie again to see if he actually does different ones for the different kinds of magic. And I don't think he actually does till the end. I think till then they're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so Betters shows him that he can do magic uh, and sort of is trying to cheer him up, which doesn't especially work. But Merlin comes by and tells him that at this point tells him your dad doesn't actually matter. It's about what's in your heart and not about blood. That's right. That's right. Now we're pro-monarchy, but not pro-hereditary monarchy. But it's only heart and truth matter to the sword. Right. Once you have the sword, you're the king. Right. But it's also, should he have told him that yesterday? I'm sorry, what? Shouldn't he have told him that yesterday? I think he's parceling out his information rather piece by piece. That's the thing that wizards do, and I don't like it. Merlin is not all-seeing omniscient. I'm not sure he did know the kid's father is a bum. I mean, in Merlin's world... Okay. I think that in some legends, Uther Pendragon is not Arthur's father. Actually, that he usually Arthur. was. I don't most think of the he legends in the mists of Avalon. He absolutely is. Okay, but I thought the other. Oh, she's the one he. He's the one she had that affair with. She was married to someone else. Yeah. Okay. 
So Uther Pendragon yeah, there's a is lot. always his father? I think pretty much. And okay. I mean, you know, I think maybe Uther Pendragon is like based loosely on a different person who certainly, who originally had nothing to do with King Arthur. But I think by the oh, time okay. you're in like the classic versions of the King Arthur legends, I think in pretty much all of those, if Uther comes up, he is in fact literally his father. Okay. I mean, you know, it's usually it's usually an illegitimacy situation. There's a lot of like, she's married to somebody else. I think yeah, often there's like... sometimes it's fully consensual and sometimes it's he pretended to be the person that she was oh, married to. Right, 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 right. Or which, she says so, so she doesn't get into trouble. Right. So, which oh, if he no, actually he does that. Like so-and-so. Merlin right. <laughs> right. Which if he actually did that, then there's consent issues. If Right she knew then that's a different story obviously so right right okay but always he is the father but i think pretty much yes but that means it is never explained to you who picked alex or what right the sword yeah the sword just thinks he's a good kid no because when i was re-watching because i assumed i when because i was when i was re-watching i hadn't remembered this whole scene i actually assumed he was going to find out that his mom was a descendant of king arthur Oh, that would have been nice. Yeah. But no, we don't get anything. Because like, as I said, I'm all for the... And I'm all for the, it's not actually hereditary, it doesn't matter. It's just, I, I found it a little weird that, I don't know, I would think that because Merlin made the sword in the first place, he should know that it being hereditary, that it just doesn't actually really matter. And should have told him that yesterday. <laughs> but I think, okay, but I think he does think it matters and he's just wrong. <laughs> things change how this like mm-hmm. a long time ago yeah but then it, like then it's weird right that he comes up and is like ah yes i have this wide statement about how in fact it doesn't matter that your father's a dick like <laughs> he really does adapt to situations and i right. think that's part yeah, of the, so maybe it's the just very adaptable thing. very right. adaptable <laughs> now with renewed determination they go to find the entrance to the underworld. Uh, so first, uh, Betters uses his multiplication skills that he go to go to an arcade and he multiplies all of the coins. And then with all, solely 50 cent pieces, they buy armor, which A, inexplicably fits. B, my God, I if I was this store, I absolutely would have called the police as opposed to selling armor to children paying with 50 cent pieces i i think though that that's what they do in tin i mean we were in tin and that's the kind of stuff they sell you're not 12 and yeah but those are the kids that would have had to save up their 50 cent pieces in order to buy this you know schlock their parents don't want them to have <laughs> you know this is really not like adults buying cars with $50 bills that they obviously got from the drug trade. These are kids yes. who broken into their piggy bank so they can have a fake helmet. Yes. And that's the problem. This stuff is garbage. Yeah, that's the other. Yes, that is the other problem is that it is almost certainly garbage and therefore not very useful. But they find the entrance to the underworld. They look at a map in the book and decide it's at Glastonbury Tour and they go over there. Well, I think and that's far. I think it's not just crossing the street. I think it's a whole different... <laughs> I, I think it's a schlep. They oh, yeah. It's there. like they're nearly back at London already by the time they get there. So they have to like go back to Stonehenge and all of that. And 
We drove so, to all these places. This really would have been much easier. A lot easier. He fights Morgana, and uh, so they've got they've got their whole thing in the underworld, and he by eventually manages to trick her and stab her. And except for the fact that there's still like 45 minutes left in the movie, one would think right. that he had defeated her. And his friends right. all kneel. He returns Excalibur to the Lady of the Lake, who we'll talk about more later. And sneaks in uh, into the house because he can't quite face talking to his mom just yet. Right. Well, you can't blame him. I mean, yes. Do you understand how long he's been gone? Yes, actually, because, uh, okay, we know actually precisely how long he's been gone because we know how many oh, nights so there nights. were. Three. Well, so no, because the first, there was the night he was at home. And then there were two. Yeah, there were, t- he's been gone two nights. Okay. Basically. Okay, right. Because yeah. we have a ticking clock, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's been gone, like, it's like a full, it is like a full 48 hours, at right. least. Yeah. See, looks in on her, but then goes to bed. And the next morning, there's evil tree growing outside his window. <laughs> that same bramble bush, right? Like, uh-huh. like Cinderella. Uh-huh. Not Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. And uh, Merlin shows up and said, yeah, no, you're, you, you did not get it done. And it turns out it's because he didn't follow the chivalric code, which is because specifically it says honor those you love and he has not sufficiently honored his mother. Well, when he, when he found out she's the one who wrote the book mm-hmm. and has been lying to him, he threw a fit. He yep. was absolutely furious. She lied to me. Everything was her fault. And, you know, and, and he's very, very angry. And mm-hmm. he can't totally blame him, but I see yeah. why it's a violation of code. No, he was mm-hmm. furious at her. He yeah. said he hated her. Yeah. You know, and as I said, you, you can kind of get it, right? He's, he's 12. He's having a hard time. It sounds kind of like he really has sort of built his dad up in his head because Before, he's and absent because and that his mother and that she's encouraged that. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing about your father's a nasty, vicious bum and I wanted him to love you, which he obviously does not. That's the kind of thing I, it's where, I mean, I've never lied to you in my whole life. But I, that must be very hard to tell a kid. And you really can't blame the mom for, you know, trying to make it a little easier for him. It's such a terrible situation when your father hates you and God knows how he treated the wife. I actually kind of assumed that most people actually were more honest about this. And like precisely know. because why would they want you to grow up and want to look for this person see that yeah that's the other half of it but when she said to him i wanted you to feel loved i wanted you to feel your father loved you i mean you know it's hard to totally blame her for that so alex goes to make up with and talk through things with his mom who explains to him at this point right why it is that she wasn't honest with him about his father and uh, also that Alex says, okay, there's still something I've got to do, you know, that I still absolutely think I'm the true heir of King Arthur and that I this is Excalibur. This In the real world, she really would have called a mental health professional. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and she sort of mentions it. You might want to talk to somebody about that. <laughs> yes. 
But, well, then in this particular, you know, that oh. at this point, right, he convinces her by he fills up a bathtub. Wait, 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 because it's foreshadowed because they're talking earlier when he's first going to throw it in the lake and they say, oh, well, if she if the lady in the lake gives it back to you, then I'll believe. And then somebody says, I think it's um, Lance. He says, you know. Are you saying that every single thing of water, body of water in in the UK is connected? A puddle, a this, a river? And he says, yeah. But so far, we've only seen lakes because she's the lady of the lake. Right. It's a bathtub. If this were a slightly different movie, this absolutely would have been a toilet. Right. And in an American version, this would have been a toilet. And you know this would have been a toilet. We saw that in the difference between the French and American versions of The Visitor. <laughs> yeah, no. If this, if this were the, if this were an American movie, this absolutely would have been a toilet. It's British, or so it's French. a bathtub. Or French. Yes. Or French. Mm. <laughs> so, but yes, but it is a bathtub. Uh, so he fills up the bathtub, uh, right? And so his mother sees as he, you know, calls upon the Lady of the Lake, and the Lady of the Lake returns Excalibur via their bathtub. And we only ever see her arm. Yes. Which is interesting. The arm is kind of like, it looks like it's kind of like scaly. Oh, I didn't notice. Mm. I, I, to me, it's like Audrey Hepburn that it has a pearl bracelet and black velvet gloves. Oh. No, there's definitely something greenish. Ooh, yes. I, it has a special glow. Yeah, and it's a greenish glow. And I thought it yeah. looked like it was maybe a teensy bit scaly. So Ooh. Mm. maybe I will spend $4. He's now convinced his mother. But his mother's not going to, like, help. He's just like, have a good day. I'm going to go to school with this sword. Right, right, right. And she believes. She's a believer. But But is it going to help? It's not going to help. He didn't ask her for help. Wouldn't If I said when I was 12, I have to go to school with my sword and fight, you know, an evil sorceress, wouldn't you have offered to help? I absolutely, I would have driven you there. The adults are eh, eh, in this movie, but even the nice ones. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yes. Which so. I think is the other reason there's not a whole lot of Patrick Stewart. Because it's right. the whole eon in the movie that it's the kid version. Right. Ethos. Ethos of the movie. Yes. King Arthur babies. Right. So you go to school. Merlin enchants the faculty to get them to, uh, you know, start to get on board. The British children just have to be ordered to queue and they queue. I thought he did what he did to the grown-ups just to get them to shut up and stay in a room and not bother anybody except for the principal. Well, the principal is the first one that he enchants. And then she says, you know, okay, line up and listen to these other kids. Yeah, but um, the other teachers, I think, are just gotten out of the way. They don't participate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, and even the principal doesn't really participate. But she tried to get every all the kids on board. Yes. She gets the kids at least. She gets them to queue. That's what she including does. She gets Will them to queue. Including Will Perry. Right. <laughs> then when they speak to the children, they're like, join us on our quest. And like, eh? And then they're like, and then I think the principal says, this is instead of lessons today. Oh, and they're well, going, oh. I do this. I'd much rather risk my life in war and go to war than have to do my homework. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Must be one tough school. 
But we know it's not because they that we saw them in that lesson, the thing with the solar eclipse with the like two planets on lollipops. Right. And somebody on IMDb said the science teacher got that wrong. He didn't do it right. Well, I, I think I blame the writers of the movie for that, not right. the quality of the school. <laughs> like some bit at the beginning that does kind of make it sound like it's supposed to be like a relatively fancy sort of school because I feel like there's like this like thing that they say to Alex about how like this school is like the place where you like figure out your future or whatever like it sounded very like kind of fancy prep schoolish. I don't know I don't know I don't really understand the British school system so I don't know and they also uh every now and then yes they are oh they are wearing uniforms yep Anybody who knew more than me could figure out from their uniforms what class. I don't think this is so high class. Oh, I do. I think that the implication in the beginning is that it is. It's also a very nice building. Okay. And they refer offhandedly a couple of times to the fact that Lance is quite rich. Oh, okay. All right. I don't know that any of the others are, but, you know, they could be scholarship kids. And we don't know anything about anybody. So, yeah, I mean, we don't even know anything about Better's own life, except no. that he and they Alex live next door, live next door. So Better's can keep sneaking out all night, right. like, you know, climbing ledges. Right. Uh, whatever. So they they managed to get all of the kids on board. The teachers all uh, complain about the fact that they want to actually teach. <laughs> How could they? Give them a a cup of tea and a spoon. (laughs) How could they want to actually teach? How awful. (laughs) And Uh, then they're like petrified. Merlin enchants them to make them shut up and give him him their car keys. Oh, right. So that they can wreck all of their cars. Right, 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 right. Which is, I think, the only modern weapon they have. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, and then we have our we have our prepping for war scenes. We've got a little like a set. We've got an assembly line where we have yeah. Where oh, actually the other thing that is a modern weapon, which I'll mention in a minute. Okay, so we've got the assembly line, right? We've got Alex is in charge of knighting. Uh, Betters and Merlin are both kind of doing you know multiplications things, right? They're multiplying metal and uh, they're multiplying the armor because they only the armor of armor. And you know what their shields are. The no. shields are just traffic signs. Oh, right, right, right. All of them? Yeah, they're all those triangles, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the shields are just traffic signs. <laughs> it's great. I think it's actually great what team. they are is I think it actually goes back way to the beginning where, like, Alex tells Betters to, you know, find something to defend himself and he grabs a, like, caution right. sign from the construction site. Right, right. And that's what the kind of thing it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yes, that's a that's modern, I guess. But everything, well, but shields aren't. Shields must yes. go back from the first time yes, somebody yes. tried to hit somebody. But if I'm not mistaken, they're using all the things from their school basically to make medieval weapons. Yes. Catapults and battering rams and whatnots. I mean, it's England, not America. They don't all have guns. Right. This are an American school. You just... Multiply this gun security guard, the, the guns that the security guards at the door have. Or the teachers. Aren't we arming teachers now? We, well, you know, we're not giving them chalk and other school supplies. So I guess we have plenty of extra money for right. guns. Right. 
Anyway, but yeah, so so this is England, right? So uh, we we don't have just a bunch of guns lying around. Well, so they instead, to have be missing a lot of knives. I mean, they have nothing that's a real weapon. I mean, they would have had to bring the knives from. I mean, they have swords. Yes, but I mean, I'm sure there are kids in English schools with knives. I'm sure there are, but, but the swords but they have the they have the swords, and the swords are probably more effective swords. since they are longer. We have, yes, from, yeah, we have the swords and we have all those battering ram type things and the cars yeah. and all the other. Yeah, we've got, they basically use the cars to create battering rams. Uh, they've got what looks like one of the like pool lane things, right, that they use. <laughs> this is the other reason I think it says like a fancy school. How many schools actually have their own pool? A high school. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't think oh. I did. We didn't have a pool. You didn't? No. In college, I did. Okay. Not in high school. I had a pool in my high school. Hmm. You know, I I don't know how big or small it was, but I remember being in the chlorine-smelling staircase going down to the pool. I think. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't have a pool. I might be hallucinating, but I think we had a pool. Yeah. So that—that's the other reason I think it's a—it's relatively fancy. They've got like the pool lane things, right? That they also are kind of using right. to whatever them is up, in so. the building. Yeah. they have turned into a medieval whip. Right, right. Because so, they don't have guns. Yes, we've got the battle there. You know, they're clearly struggling against the the mortes miles, although they've gotten a few of them. The car battering ram ultimately is uh, successful the first time and less successful the second time because I guess in Mario Kart you do not learn how to reverse. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that one doesn't go so well. And to yeah, be to be fair, it's 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 rough. I mean, they they really should have had the cars with backup cams. Makes it a lot easier. And there also, we have an, I think we have, with the clock is ticking again, because we're just about at the eclipse. I think so the eclipse a, at this point has already happened. Be, well, the, the, I don't think they yeah, attack until the eclipse next. starts. Oh, they don't okay. attack until the eclipse starts, because oh, okay. they can only come out when it's dark. And it's neither oh, night okay. nor day, so, so everybody can come. Eclipse. So Merlin and the Meal Forts and Morgana can all be in the same place. I thought I could have turned that into a French pastry. Right. Wouldn't that be good? Uh-huh. Made with cochineal. Oh. So Merlin has a, his kind of battle with Morgana, who basically wins. At this point, to revive him, they have liquefied together the soda, ice cream, and chicken nuggets, which almost made me vomit. Oh, really? I thought it was funny as hell. Just thinking about it. <laughs> Oh, you think more than I do. What can I tell you? No, I thought it was great. I thought it was a brilliant idea. It's lying. And of course I mean, it's a brilliant idea and he doesn't care. It's just disgusting. It is disgusting, but it's a throwback to maybe 25 billion movies where the hero needs to be revived with either the wineskin or the water jug. Or... <laughs> yes. So they revive Merlin, so Merlin gets to help again, uh, but it is Alex ultimately who does manage to defeat uh, Morgana, who is also kind of a dragon now. Right, so that, that scene also looked familiar to me, that she she's the dragon, and they're lassoing her in various yes. parts of their body, 
because what? Merlin's going to make a vortex and she's going to go up through the vortex to be captured, something like that? Yeah, so he creates the spell, but then also Alex chops her head off as she's going. Yeah, that was a good idea. Yes, so now she's she's definitely really dead. And she's getting bigger and bigger. Yes. Mermaid dragon. Yes. <laughs> they win. Hooray. Yeah. Merlin's, Merlin's very happy. He, you know, says, like, you get to be leaders now, although not technically the king of England. But when when Morgana goes, is it like all those other things that when he cuts her head off, all the meat yeah. they all end. They all disappear, yeah. Okay. And I'm I think like the eclipse yet. ends, which oh, okay. isn't how eclipses work. Right. But you know. But yeah, that's what you do. You, you cut off the head and the other parts disappear. Right, right. So uh, Merlin tells Betters that he gets to keep his uh, his power. Which power? Oh, you mean the duplication? His duplication, uh-huh. And he will only use it for good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and he also, he gives him the book, but he's rewritten it. So now it has them in it. You know, you really could... What do you call that? Reverse engineer the hero's journey from this movie. Yes, you, could. you have to. You have to give gifts at the end. Uh huh. <laughs> yes, you. You got everything. You got refusal of the call. It's yeah. You. It's very classic hero's journey. <laughs> and gifts. Yes, being gifts. And as I said, they're instructed. You know, a, a land is only as good as its leaders. You should be leadership, despite the fact that as was so eloquently pointed out in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, a watery tart distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. <laughs> oh yeah, even without, when he says, we're only count 12, he says, even without Excalibur, you know what it stands for and what you stand for. Yes, they're and he really, gives Excalibur back to the Lady of the Lake. Yes, but there are such rousing lines about how to live your life and make things better because that's one of the things he says that's very interesting after they kill Morgana and they look around and he says I'm still only 12 and the world's still shit nothing has yeah. changed yeah you know it's it's not that kind of magic where you get rid of the evil sorcerer and then all of a sudden and then you like, and then you, you know, stop Brexit Right. And then you're living in, I was going to say, you're living in, in what do you, where did the hobbits live? The Dale? The Dale? Middle Earth? No, no, they're potential. The Shire. Shire. It's not like you're back to, you know, the, the happy Shire. Well, that's, is. that's actually why I prefer the book ending to the film ending, because right. I like actually that in the book, it doesn't just automatically fix everything, but they still have to like, they have to go back to the Shire and fix things there because Saruman's taken over and fucked everything up. Right, right. Which is, it, I actually prefer said, that ending. So that's in the book and not the movie or vice versa? In the movie, no, it's not in the movie. It's just in the book. Oh, okay. In the book, they get in the movie. Sorry, in the movie, they go back to the Shire and everything's lovely. And it seems oh, like they haven't like noticed that this war has happened. Right. But I've read and seen both so many times, I can actually visualize Saruman going back and turning down their tobacco and then burning everything up, <laughs> which obviously right. I didn't actually it's see. Just in the book, yes. But yeah, yes. so no, I love that line. I'm only 12 and nothing has changed. Because, mm-hmm. you know, 
I, I did the quest. I succeeded. I did everything. And the whole world is, you know, still gone to pot and so much more needs to be done. Yep. But yep. I think it's true. No, he's not King of England. And it's also true, I think, that there's no way, and he knows there's no way he's going to be able to do this on his own. He right. really is even, he didn't even have the sword. I guess he can get the sword back at any time. You know, and all these kids, their parents would take months. But at any rate, it, 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 it didn't really change anything in real life. It just changed no. the magical aspect. Well, and that in theory, I guess things, I guess in theory, things would have been made even worse had if Morgana taken over, right? Well, they keep saying that, that she's come here to enslave the British. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed I, to the normal state of affairs you. where the British enslave you. everybody else. I hear you. But yeah, so they, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I mean, but they say that at least four times. She is yes. here to turn you all into enslaved. Yes. I think, but and, which is science fiction type, type thing. But yeah, oh, yes, that silly yes. Matrix movie. Well, it actually, I believe it's actually also very evocative of uh, what Frodo sees in the Palantir as the possible future of Sauron wins. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I, they, I don't think, you know, this, you know, King Arthur, King Arthur, this, this, or not this the Palantir, heavily, Galadriel's yeah, pond thing. Way. Yeah. But this, is, this clearly is heavily indebted to Tolkien. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. And it's taxable. <laughs> but yeah. At this point, we can, I think, get into the Vera at Falso, where we talk through what this film got right and wrong. I think I have to start with Aladdin because I'm just like bursting <laughs> to talk about Latin grammar. <clears throat> okay. I'm, in, I'm still on the meal foie French pastry, but okay. So I'll start that, you know, mortes miles really means thousand deaths. I, I might have gone with that, whatever. I don't know what they're trying to get at. Gladius Arturi Filius Tintageli. Well, I do think it is plausible that that it would be translated as Sword of Arthur, Son of Tintagel, if it was fed into Google Translate. <laughs> I would hope that uh, whoever was responsible for putting the inscription there in the first place would have uh, had slightly better Latin grammar because it is a rule of Latin grammar. Okay, so Latin has case endings, right? Why would Merlin know Latin? If it's in Latin in the first play, I, I don't know. They mean that it, it, the inscription just should have been in Celtic then. If it, if it was in Celtic, I, mean, I would have just Romans, said fine. And then I wouldn't have known Romans if it was right or not. Were, the Romans were still there, but sort of on the In way terms out. of the historical Arthur, if there was a historical Arthur, he's in essentially like recently post-Roman Britain. Yeah. So then, of course, they'd forget their Latin. Fine. So maybe the argument is that like they have Latin, they just have real shit Latin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the Romans left. So I don't know. Maybe that's the argument being made. But okay, to explain how specifically this is shit Latin. <laughs> Latin has case endings. So what this means is that there is the way the word ends changes to reflect uh, the kind of part of the sentence for a noun, right? So that if it is the subject of the sentence, it looks one way. If it's the object of the sentence, it looks a different way. 
If it is uh, in the genitive case, so that means it's of such and such. You actually don't need to have the word of, you just have it in the genitive case ending. Similarly, for you know, the dative and ablative have various things that they're paired with. That, you know, I'm not going to get into the dative and ablative explanation because the genitive is all we really need. Okay. And then we need the genitive, the genitive and the nominative. All right. Just tell us what they did wrong. Okay. You then have to have your case endings agree, right? So the word okay. son is referring back to Arthur, right? Yep. That means it should also be in the genitive because Arthur is in the genitive. So it's the sword of Arthur, the son of Tintagel, because son describes Arthur, it has to be the same case ending as Arthur. Instead, it's the nominative case ending. So really what this sentence is saying is that the sword is the son of Tintagel. Maybe it is. <laughs> Maybe that's what they meant it to say. Arthur is not the son. Of, I mean, that's... Uh, I think it can go either way. But, but the sword isn't a son. It's a sword. Right. Son, S-O-N, just to clarify. It's not a father. It's a city. Well, yes, but I, I still... Uh, they can't... They're not... They're absolutely not referring to the sword as being the son of Tintagel. They're absolutely referring to Arthur. I don't know. I, I sort of like that idea. But go on. <laughs> anyway, that's the grammatical problem. It should have been Philly. But that's the end of the Latin, except for the, yes. the French pastry dead people. Yes, that's, that's my main Latin problem, is that okay. I read that inscription and got really annoyed. I could see you would get annoyed. It's just, it would have been so easy to get right. I th- Okay. Like, if they'd asked one person who'd gotten through, like, college Latin, they could have fixed it. Oh, that's interesting. It's not, but this they- is easy. This is easy Latin. Well, maybe it was sort of like a joke for the Latin lovers. Maybe. Then they could feel superior to everybody. Well, I felt very superior, but was also very annoyed at the uh, the incorrect Latin grammar. So yes, as you read, it should have been Gladius Arturi Arturi Filii Tintagelli. I think when they do the remake, they're going to do that. I hope so. And I think think there's going to be a sequel. Maybe. I also need to talk about the depiction of the round table that we see the round table in this uh, in this book. And I wanted to note uh, where they got that particular visualization of the round table from. My coaster. Yes, you have the coaster. It is a win- the Winchester round table, which was made in around 1290 to celebrate a tournament in honor of the marriage or the betrothal, sorry, of uh, one of the daughters of Edward I. Ooh. And, boo. The artwork on it is actually even later. The artwork is done by Henry VIII, who uh, in particular (laughs) made sure to include the lovely Tudor Rose in the center and the depiction of a King Arthur who looks astonishingly like Henry VIII. And it is now in Winchester Cathedral. Yes. So you could go see that round table, which is not in fact a date back to the days of King Arthur. (laughs) So it's very pleasant. I mean, yes. it's happy to make it. I mean, it's obviously a total fake from beginning to end, but yes. yes. I mean, it's not even intended to be real. It's like they made it as a, no. they made it as a kind of symbolic, like this is fun. But I, I think that is, has it, I mean, is that what they, when they do other Arthur movies, they just have a round table? I think I've seen it before, but I don't see it always necessarily. Oh, okay. So it's it's certainly, it's just worth mentioning, uh, especially because, oh, yeah. you know, it's like in this book, right, which is like a children's book, you know, that so they can do whatever they want, right? But, you know, 
No, but yeah, no, I loved it when they picked up those leaves to make the rectangle table. That was very cute. That was very cute. Very cute. I also wanted to talk through beetles, blood, beavers, urine, and ground ground animal Uh, bone. uh, 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 Oh, Sarah, blood. So there are many different kinds of beetles, which are native to places all over the world. So yes, there would have been beetles available for Merlin in, say, 6th or 7th century England. Though I shudder to think how many you would actually need to kill to revive Merlin. Well, did he need reviving in his own time? I'm sure he did. I mean, because he knows it's a thing. So I would assume that it's some, I mean, I don't, it's not, it actually, it does not say if he is weaker than he used to be. It doesn't say. So I don't know if this thing, I don't know if he would have needed the reviving potion less frequently. I don't, I've, okay. But he's clearly aware of it, which makes me think that he's used it before, certainly. Right. And I think the implication, right, is that he doesn't eat. He just has this gross situation. Or that he doesn't need to eat. That if he eats, he's eating for pleasure and it's not for sustenance. You know, it's always a problem in movies because a lot of people don't eat. And it really doesn't mean they never eat. They just don't put it in the movie. So I don't. Yes. But I think it's implied that this is what he actually needs. And I don't know that he needs food. Okay. I don't know either. Normal food. So a scientist should correct me if I'm wrong, but when I was reading this, I also learned that insects technically do not have blood, though they have a similar substance, which is called hemolymph. I think if you step on one, like red stuff spurts out, or maybe it's white. Well, yeah, and actually hemolymph is usually not red. It's usually uh, either clear or sometimes tinged yellow and green. That's very making me nauseous. (laughs) Uh, In addition, no, I'm not done. I know. The reference here is clearly to the cochineal extract used in dye, which is technically a specific ground bug and is just ground in general. It is not the blood or hemolymph specifically. And it's and, not kosher. And in addition to not being kosher, I will note that this particular beetle is native to South America. And so Merlin would not have been familiar with this particular beetle, but I suppose that doesn't necessarily matter. Maybe any beetle is fine. Wait a minute. How long have they been making Campari? I don't know, but I absolutely like, this is like they got this from the Aztecs. I hear you, but Campari is made with cochineal. So I I think Campari has been in Europe for a long time. But that, I mean, but a long time could be the 16th century. Yeah. Right. You know? Okay. Okay. I mean, the Europeans started fucking with the Americas a while ago at this point. Right, 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 right. 15th century. Too. Speaking of, those, that must be on the list. Those must be some of the countries on the list of the countries the British never invaded. Must be some of the countries the British never invaded because the Spanish had already invaded them. That's what I said in general. Your father said, what are the countries? I said, I don't know. I said, but, but then we agreed it's the ones the, the Spanish got to first. Campari was invented in 1860. That's interesting. I had no idea it was that late. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there was based on something that had previously existed, but like the brand name Campari is 1860 right. at least. Huh. Let's unify Italy and kill beetles. <laughs> Let's talk about beaver urine. I don't want to. Please don't make me. I don't have anything to add to a conversation on beaver urine. Nothing. I'm actually not speaking about the urine specifically. I'm just going to talk about beavers. There are two main beaver species. 
So there is an, a, a North American beaver, but there is also a Eurasian beaver. So it and its urine would presumably have been available to Merlin. But he's lucky that he didn't come back in between at any point, because then he might have struggled since uh, the Eurasian beaver went extinct in Britain in the 16th century. It apparently like was nearing extinction in a lot of Europe. So you're saying they import beaver urine or did they just bring in American beavers because they needed to dam up things? So the beaver actually was reintroduced to the United Kingdom, but only in like in the last like five, 10 years, they reintroduced. So there are now beavers. Yeah, they've reintroduced beavers to the United Kingdom, but very recently. I mean, I would assume that this like whatever, if it's if it is just in this film, if the idea, right, is that they just have this like vanilla, whatever it is that's made from beaver urine. I assume that's just made in some factory somewhere. Like, I doubt that's necessarily made in the UK. I thought that it was actually a joke. I don't think that they really could be urine in their ice cream. I mean, if that, in terms of the <laughs> context of the film, as I said, I refuse to look that part up because I didn't want to know. But right. if it's just some sort of flavoring or extract, I'm sure it's just made in a factory somewhere and they would import it. So that part doesn't no. really matter. But no, I think somebody just said, let's, let's think of three disgusting ingredients. So now speaking of and ground animal bone. Yes. Well, that's, yeah, but that's in everything. And, okay, so, you know, fine and generic enough to be feasible. But fun fact, when I was specifically looking up medieval uses of ground animal bone, I learned that powder baked from baked animal bones, so they baked them and then they ground them up, was used as a protective coating to strengthen the walls of the city of Granada in the 14th century. And that we actually know this because in 2009, archaeologists found a brick oven used for the specific purpose of uh, baking bones. That's really, that's interesting. No, what I was thinking of, I can't think of the name of it, but it's something you put in the ground in your garden to make it yeah it's in fertilizer yeah bone bone i couldn't figure out how far that goes back i don't know and i certainly don't know how far back it goes but you know you have all these animals you kill them you eat them you you know you turn their fur into hats you'd think they would have had uses for bone meal forever and we know they use urine forever Mm-hmm. I'm not sure they use bugs forever, but you know. Well, I mean, the the Aztecs had been making cochineal dye, I think, already for quite a while. Oh, okay. By the time the Europeans showed up, I don't know if the Europeans did anything quite similar. Okay, and we know they made. I mean, the ancient Israelites with that blue dye—that's made out of some sort of uh, sea thing that's now extinct. So people have always right. used bugs insects whatever yeah a lot of the dyes are are natural right now yeah plants insects animals i think actually urine i think there actually is something that is like some dye actually that like urine is heavily involved in right that makes sense it it turns things yellow let alone the tanneries and whatnot but yeah so yeah those are my my fun facts related to the disgusting (laughs) items that go up to make merlin's reviving potion (laughs) thank goodness the blender worked yeah, we've really got an ultra sanitized version here of the uh, chivalric code. 
we also have a quite overly systematized version of the chivalric code, which is basically just like, here's like four things. It's just this. It's like really nice. The chivalric code A is certainly less formal than this. There's really not a kind of single, like it is these exact precise things oh, in medieval sources, as opposed to a kind of vague yeah. set of behaviors that are understood as being appropriate for knights. It is also varies a lot that to the extent that there are kind of efforts to kind of say like systematize in a systematized way, this is what you should be doing. It's not necessarily the same from place to place in medieval Western Europe. And it also includes a whole lot more hierarchy, right, than this one does. It's very much like, this is like honor those you love. And in reality, it's like honor like your Lord to whom you have sworn fealty to. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot more of an emphasis well, on hierarchical. Oh, oh yes, this like is a, in the, the, the invention were being invented yeah. simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> Relatedly, there's also a whole lot of things that would be linked to this that is like problematic gender-related stuff, very much things about protecting women, but in a sense that you're sort of putting women on a pedestal in various ways. And also that, you know, if she's saying no, she really means yes. Okay, but wait a minute. If you're complaining that these rules of chivalry are not the same as the ones you know. Oh, they shouldn't the be, obviously, in a children's be. movie. No, no, yes, no, oh, yeah. It's a children's movie. It's that so, these are appropriate for Merlin to phrase them this way in this time, this place, and to these people. So what it is, right, is that, yes, absolutely, we should not, and I'm not saying we should be, making children's movies where an accurate medieval idea of the chivalric code is what we're encouraging children to follow in the year 2019. But you said they're not uniform anyway, so what difference does it make? Yeah. But also, I do think that it is worth noting that this is one of the, I mean, that the, there's different kinds of medievalism, right? There's the kind of grimdark medievalism uh, where everything was awful and gray and everybody, you know, was miserable until the they died at the age of 35. Lives. Yes, the dark, dismal lives, the dark, depressing, dismal lives, as Rick Steves has it. <laughs> right. So there's that medievalism, but then there is also a medievalism which is uh, intent on doing things like overly idealizing figures like knights in particular, right? right Who right. in reality well, yeah. are quite, you know, often smelly. violent, maraud. You know, the smelly doesn't even matter. And they probably, you know, they weren't as smelly as we think they were. The um, knights? I mean, they were smelly like after a battle, but like yeah. they would have bathed on occasion. That rules about how often they could bathe. So they did bathe, but and they had soap. But that you know, they're they're people, right, who are essentially like professionally violent. Yeah. And a lot of that includes that, you know, one of the reasons this chivalric code has so much stuff about not being violent to the people who are weaker than you is because they know that's what they're doing constantly. Of course. And the same with protecting women. Right. And that, you know, it's also very much, you know, connected with this idea of women and of what romantic love should look like, that it's very heavily leans on this idea that essentially if a woman says no, she doesn't really mean no. Well, that carries through a million years. 
Yes. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons, right, that we shouldn't be idealizing knights and knightly behavior in children's films, or at least that it's worth them, like thinking else. critically or anywhere else, right? Then it's worth, you know, thinking critically about. And of course, also, you know, I'll note this is also a film that I think does a quite good job overall of having a pretty diverse cast, even if they still, I think, pretty much decided, like, yeah, no, somebody's going to, like, you know, really come after us if we make Arthur anything but a white dude. But it's you know, but that's still right in terms of the history of He's the, the idealizing son of a who went bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that in terms of the history of idealizing chivalry, it has often been very closely connected with both misogyny and uh, with white supremacy. Like the Antebellum and like relatively soon after postbellum South, like loved doing like specifically super racist medieval reenactments. Well, any code, chivalric, whatever, whatever, that is really only a dr- uh, proverbs, mm-hmm. any code that is really only addressing men is problematic, no matter what yes. it says. Mm-hmm. And of course, the things it says reflect the fact that the only people it's addressing are male. Yes. And the other thing, relatedly, is that when you actually look at, you know, things that would be describing what's involved in a chivalric code, they're also really specifically addressing Christians most of the time. So it includes a lot of things like protecting the church and also you know, there have been formulations or kind of or kind of ways that it's been presented that have argued that part of the chivalric code is like fighting the infidel. Oh, okay. You know, so I mean, there okay, is... Okay, 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 I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that there is, you know, so that that's a big part of it, right? Is this very unpleasant history, both gendered and also in terms of race or how we, you know, or how we kind of treat the sort of ethnic or religious other that we're ignoring right in this film and again I'm obviously not saying that like we should be training the children to say like ah yes I will sign up to like protect the lady on a pedestal and follow the church and like my hierarchical lord but but let me ask you this obviously the whole point of calling it a chivalric code was to make it sound medieval and what it really is is here are the four rules you should live by, whether you want to call it yes. the Chivalric Code or the Sermon on the Map. Blah, 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 blah. Yes. This is what they are, and they're perfectly inoffensive. Yes, it's so a perfectly nice four-line ethical code. I wouldn't have said wanton to a bunch of kids, but me that doesn't. So are you saying you would be happier if they called it something other than the Chivalric Code? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Fair yeah, enough. but I don't think we should idealize this concept of the chivalric code as really being that nice. In addition, just as a fun fact, um, it is obviously something that would be closely linked with the Arthurian romance tradition oh, to right. the extent that we care about the historical Arthur. That's a very different thing and would be long before anybody was talking about anything like the chivalric code. And the point I thought also was that except for one, they all break it. Yes. But all the things you said made me think that this movie has really gone out of its way not to have any religion in it. 
Oh, yes. No, it has really no religion. And, you know, and I will say also in favor of this film, right, that they, you know, have made an effort to have a relatively diverse cast that I think it's nice that they, you know, made one of the kids a girl. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. So. Of course, they got double their money because she's a girl and a person of color. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, we still somehow managed to have two white boys of the four. Right. So yeah, so, so those are my comments on the chivalric code. Uh, the one other thing that I was going to say before getting into the Historia at Veritas was about Stonehenge, which is, uh, I believe the dates on Stonehenge when Stonehenge were built were between about 3000 and 1600 BCE. But one could make the argument that Merlin has a weird relationship with time. I don't understand when, ha- if we know when Merlin was born. That's way too big of a question to get into. No, I'm serious. So you, you, you say he has an odd relationship with time. I say Merlin could be, you know, could have lived forever until... He does or doesn't get locked in a tree by Nimue. Right. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll allow it. As but as go. I said, you know, all these people with the, oh, the Druids build Stonehenge. No, they did not. So, you know, so Merlin, uh, Druids, I mean, the Dru- Druids is, is a ridiculous statement. And Merlin makes more sense than Druids because the Druids couldn't possibly have built it. Merlin, up. Uh, up in the air, who knows? <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> but really, the amount of time we have spent driving from one standing to another. <laughs> if only And the time had... standing directly in front of a standing <laughs> stone, looking straight at it and not realizing it was there. That's also oh, that a solid was... 15 to that... 20 minutes, I think. Oh, but we spent over an hour your father and i trying to find a standing stone and we had instructions and we followed it then we went back then we started out again then we went back and finally we went to a uh, pub and said where's the stone guys oh you want the stone and even then it took for it must have taken us literally over an hour to find the dolmen and it was worth finding. It was great. We had a. It was great. It was magnificent. That's my favorite kind of stones, the domes. But you know, and there were there are ones we never found. <clears throat> that either the instructions were wrong, or people built these giant fences so nobody mm. could like look over their field and see them. Yeah. No, I'd much rather just hey, tap it, and there I am. I'm at the next one. There you go. Very easy. Very easy. So at this point, we can move into the Historia at Veritas, where we talk about a real, or, you know, real in medieval literature, person, event, or phenomenon. And in this particular case, I thought it would be nice to get into some of the Arthurian history of the figure of the Lady of the Lake. Well, you know, I don't think anybody's real. So yes. Yeah, I'd rather right. be her than Arthur. I've, I've, I've done Arthur by now. I'm sure, I'm sure I must've done Arthur by now. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, 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 and yes, try, try Belieder and um, Richard Burton or Richard Harris, Richard Harris. In that oh. horrible movie Camelot, Camelot with Vanessa Redgrave and Franco Nero. 
It's one. Yes, of the that's uh, yeah, it is Richard Harris. Yeah, because yeah. I remember being like very <laughs> astonished that that was Dumbledore. And it was amazing to me that anybody would leave Richard Harris for Franco Nero. <laughs> and Lancelot also was just utterly did. insufferable. But we saw a magnificent movie where Arthur was really more of the tribe leader and the Romans. Arthur, just yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's that was. magnificent, but yes, I've seen and it. And you saw the one with Kira Knightley? Yeah. It was good. I oh. don't fully agree, but. <laughs> but yeah, so, so, so yeah, there are a lot of King Arthur movies and not so many about the Lady of the Lake. Yes. So we'll talk about the Lady of the Lake. This film draws on in particular the Arthurian narrative that focuses on the Lady of the Lake as having this role of giving Excalibur, but that is only one of the many multifaceted roles played by the Lady or Ladies of the Lake in the Arthurian tradition, which, by the way, is very extensive. It also is con- is internally contradictory. It includes five million different things from a number of different places. I'm sure that there will be things I say that I am oversimplifying. If you're an Arthurianist, please feel free to add in your thoughts on this. It was one of the most confusing explanations of who a mythological character is that I have ever seen. Thank you. So not your verb, just in general. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, sometimes they say, oh, was this person good or bad? but at least they're one person. Yep. Some assorted connections that I'm not getting into because I can't get into everything, but that she has been linked to assorted water spirit kind of creatures in Irish, Welsh, and Greek mythology. Yeah, that'll do it. So that's, that's just to start us off. The first reference within Arthurian, the Arthurian tradition to the Lady of the Lake or to somebody who is like the Lady of the Lake comes from Chrétien de Troyes, who identifies Lancelot as having been raised by some sort of water fairy kind of creature. So, right, that's why he's Lancelot du Lac, Lancelot of the Lake. Oh, is that's because interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's because he got raised by this lake lady. No She's not his mother. She's his godmother stepmother in some versions there's like a changeling situation where she has a son and she switches her son with somebody else and raises lancelot as her son but she's not what's his face's mother achilles's mother that is one of the connections that people have mentioned is uh as uh you know um, is the link is that you know the, the similarity right to uh, so it's who's any mother. woman who's related to water okay got it. there have been a lot of yes we obviously we don't know exactly where she's come from so basically any creature any woman related to water in any mythological tradition that anyone who created this stuff could have potentially read has basically been brought forward as maybe this is an inspiration for the lady of the lake so that includes achilles's mother oh okay in this particular context, right, of her as like Lancelot's adoptive mother. So it's like, uh, we've heard of a hero raised by a lake lady before. Uh, oh, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense that Lancelot right. would come from Achilles. I'll buy that. Yeah, yeah. And so Lancelot that is, it's certainly a... Yeah, and Lancelot yeah. obviously had his Achilles heel, so to speak. <laughs> right. 
ground teal Achilles, yeah. Right. And that's the, in the Lancelot Grail, also known as the cycle, also known as the Vulgate cycle, which is early 13th century. The main relationship that we see her having, she really has little to no connection really with Arthur. She's really there to help out Lancelot so that she keeps showing up again and popping in and, uh, you know, making sure he's doing okay. Every now and then he'll like go sort of nuts and she'll like help him chill out she protects Guinevere from Morgana on occasion and is really into the two of them hooking up. Gu- uh, Guinevere oh, that's Lynn. interesting. Oh yeah, okay, she's real well, into that. Well, she's pretty and um, why would she have any loyalty to Arthur? What does she care? Right, exactly. She doesn't in this version. She has no loyalty to or connection to Arthur whatsoever. She's just like, yeah, get it, son. This same cycle also refers to a different lady of the lake or well so it also refers to a lady of the lake and it's not and it's assumed that this is not the same lady of the lake as the one who is lancelot's fake mom but it's not entirely clear i suppose it could be and she depending on the version is sometimes referred to as vivian nimian or nivian which in terms of like v's and n's in a lot of medieval scripts are a little fuzzy like the relationship between those things so that actually just inherently makes sense to me that between one manuscript or the other like people just like kept switching those around okay um that and so in this tradition uh she's mostly known for having this connection with merlin which is that merlin tries to seduce her she says i'll only let you sleep with me if you reveal all of your magical secrets then depending on the version once he's revealed all of his magical secrets she still doesn't sleep with him and instead either like traps him in a tree and makes him sleep forever or just straight up kills him okay so that's who put so the lake lady put him in a tree well that's interesting yeah we also and apparently in some of these versions they also refer to the fact that she has some kind of like magic spell that prevents any man from quote deflowering her well that's great Mm mm-hmm and there's actually a bunch of other sorceresses who made the same arrangement, but then they actually did sleep with Merlin and they didn't even get all of the like, get as like as good of the like set of secrets as she got. And they and they like are bitching about the fact that the lady of the lake didn't even have to sleep with Merlin and that she got all of this good <laughs> stuff. Uh, and one of these is Morgana. She's complaining about... That she had to fucking sleep with Merlin to get all of this stuff, and she didn't even get as much stuff as that stupid lake lady. The interesting thing, of course, which obviously doesn't need to be in this movie at all, is that Merlin seems to spend more time sleeping around than doing that. Yes, which I think is fair to not include in this children's movie (laughs) in particular. And it's irrelevant anyway. Unless he did have a relation yeah he also had a relationship with morgana according to oh yeah yeah that's what i was saying that like morgana oh like there are like a ton of women like okay like almost everybody who is identified as like a woman with some sort of magical abilities in the arthurian tradition almost all of them in some version or another it's that they basically said like hey merlin fuck me and i'll like like i'll let you fuck me if you train me like that's how like that's like all of them and most of them actually did end up sleeping with him at some point except the lady of the lake and does he train them yeah 
Oh, okay. So he follows through on his yeah. part of the bark. Okay. Good. But the claim, the claim that's made in some of these urgents is like, well, you didn't train us as well as you trained the lady of the oh, lake okay. and she didn't even have to sleep with oh, you. Yeah. So like that really sucks. Well then, so he wants to sleep with all his, with these women and it sounds like he's not very good at it. And the only reason they, or very attractive. And the only reason they agree is to get the train. Yeah, potentially. Magic. Yeah. Okay. What it sounded like. Yep. Very quid pro quo. (laughs) So there's something then called the post-Vulgate cycle, which is a kind of rewriting of the Vulgate cycle. And by Vulgate, this this is all in French. This isn't, you know, this isn't even English. That in that version, at some point, she's identified as being the giver of Excalibur. As opposed to Merle. Uh, so in some in some things it doesn't even quite like have as a I think expl- like at some it's sometimes it talks about Merlin sometimes it's just like he's got this sword and it doesn't really worry about it. Oh, so we don't we don't always know the origin story for Scott. No, and there's sometimes we have we like know- the stone or well because like, there's a stone part and then there's the there's a stone story and the lake story right and sometimes in some versions you've got both and sometimes you got one and so you know. But do we always know who put it in the stone? That's a good question. I'm not 100 percent sure. Okay. So there were three. I didn't issues. look that up. So there were three issues. Who made the sword? Didn't I see this in a movie? Who made it was another Arthur movie. And they had dogs. Shockings. No, remember it had dogs or something? What? It had this giant, giant, um, like a, a, a whole colony and dogs. Anyway. Okay. So there's who made it? Who had the relay? Who put it? Who gave the lady of the lake the retrieval powers? And who put it in the stone? Those are three different things. Okay. Yes. Okay. I'm there. I'm here. I got it. Yes. So, you know, so he's generally got this sword. The sword comes pretty early. I think there are a number of different kind of versions of exactly kind of what that looks like. I think Merlin, maybe there's some versions where Merlin foretells the thing with the sword, but he didn't actually put it there. Okay. Anyway. All right. Hey, back to the Lady of the Lake. Okay, so back to the Lady of the Lake. All right, so now let's get into the lady or ladies of the lake that we have in uh, Mallory's Le Mort d'Arthur, where, which is kind of like, he basically just kind of takes everything that's anywhere and kind of throws it all together. So we've got a few ladies of the lake. So first we have one who, so Excalibur, so similar to what we actually have in the movie, right? Excalibur breaks. This lady of the lake gives him a like fixed up Excalibur. Oh, cool. Yeah. And in exchange says, okay, promise me that when I ask you for a favor, you're going to say yes. And he says, yes. Right. Okay. So then she shows up. sword that is broken. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Tolkien also (laughs) borrowed things. So she shows up. She says, hey, your guy, Sir Balin, I would like his head, please, because he killed my brother or something. Ouch. Balin says, Balin says, go fuck yourself and behets her. Ooh. Arthur, to his credit, is annoyed and kicks out Balin. Okay. Because that's really a very rude way to respond to somebody that you owed a favor, that he owed a favor to. (laughs) On the other hand, it's understandable. Then there's a different reference to somebody who's actually, to a naive or nimbway who's actually referred to as the chief lady of the lake. 
Wait, 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 wait. So in many of these Lady of the Lake legends, they obviously can get out of the lake. Yes. Okay. And this one is actually presented basically as she just like rules some lake kingdom. Oh, okay. Yeah, that she just has this like lake-based kingdom that she's just like running. And she's Nimue. Yes. Or Nynaeve. Nynaeve? Is also a name. You know the name, Nynaeve. Yes, Robert Jordan also. Some borrowing. (laughs) Um, And that's actually another one where I can also kind of see how, given the way that like I's and N's and M's look and V's look in medieval manuscript, I can also, it also makes sense to me that that's basically the same name. She has this whole thing basically where she is actually really involved and actually kind of pushing to improve the status of women at the court of King Arthur that she, she like gets him to agree that like knights have to swear to protect women and uphold their rights. And she brings in these like lady judges that uh, are supposed to be like ensuring that they actually keep their oath. He's my favorite then. And she's also fun because she also, in this version too, we have her as having defeated and permanently trapped Merlin. But in this particular case, that's because Merlin had a thing for her and wouldn't leave her alone when she said no. So she traps him, so he'll leave her the fuck alone. Good, do that to all stalkers. Yeah, I was just gonna say men, but yeah, stalkers specifically. And then she basically replaces Merlin as being Arthur's main magic person. I think even with men, they have to do something reprehensible before you lock them in a tree. I guess. Yeah. Otherwise, you're in minority report land. And that's that's so bad. Okay. I'm not putting Bernie in a tree. Fine. So, and then she's the one actually who in Lamora Darthur is the main focal point, is like the main figure who's really supporting Arthur and is the kind of magic figure in his conflict with Morgana. Ooh. And they're Ooh. often presented, right, as kind of foils to each other. Ah. Yeah. And, and did she have a name? Is she the Nimue lady again? Yes. Or another name? Okay. Yes. I will also note, she does tend to usually be linked to a specific lake, though it's not always the same lake in different versions of the story. Is the Lady of the Lake in the Mists of Avalon? Yes, and I can't remember exactly how. I like. Oh, okay. I think she actually does the thing where there's like three different Ladies of the Lake, and I think she takes some of these figures who are sort of the same character and sort of not the same character in different versions and makes them three different people. What, yeah. Okay, because at some point there were certainly a lot of characters and it got very confusing. Yes. And I think the, and I think she has the Lady of the Lake as being kind of like a title, which is also what is arguably sort of implied to be in Lamar Darthur. Oh, that's a good, I like that. Yeah. So that it's like, it's, yes, that the Lady of the Lake is a title, not like a person. And, uh, you know, obviously there's people who hold the title, right? But that's just a Devonshire. Devonshire Lakes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, the Lady of the Lake. And that also makes sense because it's Lancelot Dulac that it's like, oh, it's his last name. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. That makes yeah. more sense than somebody who, like, lives in a lake. Yeah. And the other thing that I will say, I don't know if you looked into this, I couldn't find anything actually medieval, which included the idea that she could show up in any body of water. That that's in some modern, some other modern adaptations. Right. I could not find any references to a medieval adaptation, that a medieval version that had that element. No, I wonder if, oh, you said it's in other modern sources? 
Yes, they did not make this up. There's at least some other, there's at least what was at least one or two other modern things that have that same idea, but it might be, I mean, because, you know, it's, uh, it was mod, I think it was actually Tidge White who might've been him. I can't remember, but it was, no, maybe it was even later, but it was modern essentially where they started combining Morgana and Morgos. And right. so it's usually Morgana's the one who's like the big deal, extra powerful witch. And it's Morgos who's the half-sister who's the mother of Mordred. The other and now girl. they're often presented as being the same person, but they didn't used to be the same person. And it's only in the modern adaptations where they've combined them. The other thing is why in so many mythologies are there women who live in the water? There's mermaids, of course. Mm -hmm. There's selkies. And I don't know how far back selkies go, but I think it's pretty far. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's an oral history. They don't know when it's began. But everybody seems to have them. It's interesting. Yeah. And I bet it partly has to do with men thinking women are not really totally human. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, a kind of why water in particular, right? I mean, right. the idea of oh, a kind yeah. of monstrous feminine shows up in a lot of different ways. But, uh, oh, right. another uh, Grendel's mother. Oh, duh. Yeah, good good one. Grendel's mother is water-centric. Grendel's right. mother, lady of the, of the, for the original Lady of the Lake. Lady of the Lake. Oh, that is interesting. I wonder where that, well, except that the problem with these ladies of the lake is that they're not they're neither all good nor all bad yeah what i think uh, is, interesting. is interesting yeah no i actually think that is they're a really interesting other, element yeah they're other but that doesn't define their their morality and their values which i think is cool that i think actually like i like that i like that they're I mean, they're, and they're not people. I don't know. It's a question of whether you should call her people because are, are they exactly Whatever, human, right? Yeah. But like, right. they're, I don't know. They're kind of like complicated characters. We are like, not I don't know. We've... This, wait, we are not having discussion on whether you should say women or people or humans. We're just not going there. <laughs> Is this one of the closest things we have to like a female anti-hero tradition? But that's it. They're not all anti-heroes. No, but I mean, I, I guess that's like, you know, I, I often think about the fact that I often find watching things being produced now that still it's relatively rare that you have something which has a flawed but still likable female protagonist that men can be flawed and still we're supposed to kind of overall side with them but that women are often presented as having to be perfect in order to be likable and there are exceptions to that but there aren't that many that like often women are supposed are held to a different standard in terms of like perfection and niceness than yeah, men the on screen. Madonna and the whore thing that right. was, you know, right. always do well. But what I was thinking was, I don't mean to give anything away, and it's not that big a deal, but in maybe the first or the second of the um, Lords of the Ring prequel. And I mm -hmm. understand she's an elf, not a human, but be that as it may, she swims nearly the entire ocean. <laughs> you know, so it's even even that is harking back to earlier mm -hmm. myth that, that a woman sure. can can do that, can swim yes. 5,000 miles in right. an ocean in a storm. <laughs> right. 
But, but yeah, no, but as, as I said, I just, I, I like that in a lot of these versions, she's a kind of complicated figure who is not unequivocally either good or evil. Right. Except when she is one or the other. Because it's interesting that although you can argue he did terrible things, I think Lancelot is probably historically the most popular of the knights. Yeah, but he's also kind of a piece of shit. That's what I'm saying. I mean, he's the one who arguably, I know they all sinned except, was it Percival? But, you know, he's still the most popular. Yeah, of course he's popular, but, you know, dicks are often popular. No, but I was thinking about the woman taking care of him. I'm not sure Mm. about him. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think that let me help you out and encourage your adulterous affair is necessarily like a good, inherently a good thing. Right. I'm sorry. I've totally lost my train of thought. I had a point to make and I don't really remember what it is. But I think it's simply something related to that, that some of these women are more complex than women are often given the right to do. Yes. Yes. Which is... I think interesting and also, of course, right, points to, again, the fact that, you know, often these things, right, are not necessarily, you know, we often don't necessarily see as kind of linear progress that actually I think there are a lot of medieval texts in which we kind of have these options for women, which are maybe like, honestly, in some ways more expansive than things that we get today. I'd I'd have to think about that because there's tons of literature about women today. I mean, I I can't do that. Yes. (laughs) Yes, but it's something, you know, but thinking about, right, some, it's, it is striking that something like Le Morte d'Arthur has a more complicated set of uh, options for women in some ways uh, than at least, obviously not everything, but a lot of like mainstream stuff being produced. Right. Now I'm, I'm in the middle of Jane Eyre and, and, and that is such a complex heroine. Yes. Yes. Right. But also, right, something that is written by a woman. I mean. Right which also obviously complicates the complicates things. Right, 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 right. It was just when I started to research the Lady of the Lake, it was so mind-boggling. And it really should be, there's this lady, she lives in a lake. Sometimes she gets out of the lake and screws around with Merlin and then she goes back and I'm done. Yeah, you... (laughs) So this this is too much. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I, I, I don't remember anything like that before. I mean, I'm not a PhD in, in myth and legend, but I've read bunches and I've read a bunch of the Greek stuff. And while they occasionally are seen differently, mm-hmm. they're all basically who they are. Yeah. No. So, I mean, and I think that really does reflect the Arthurian tradition that like, I think this is really a big part that there's a lot of characters who like their stories look really vastly different uh, from one version of Arthuriana to the next. So it's not just her. Oh no. I know it's also true for Merlin. Merlin is met like, you know, Merlin sometimes is like the son of a demon. Yeah. He's sometimes better than he is other times. Yes. It's very complicated. You know the Merlin anti-Jewish story that's in the Cantigas of no. Santa Maria. No. Oh, let's see if I can remember it. So I think there's uh, maybe it's a Jewish boy who's born with his head on backwards or something like that, mm-hmm. and Merlin fixes it, but then also needs to like be a dick to the Jewish parents. And I think I don't know. Probably the Jews all convert. I can't remember actually. I'll, I'll I can't remember exactly how that one goes. Where did you see this one? 
It's in the Cantigas de Santa Maria. Which is what? The collection of stories about the miracles of the Virgin Mary from uh, from Castile, 13th century. I'm not even going to ask about A lot the of them are super between, nasty. Between okay. the Virgin... I'm talking about... What is oh, the that's what it is. Okay. Virgin Mary and Merlin. Okay, all right. So, okay, this is how it happens. All right, so Merlin, he's arguing with some Jewish sage, you know, some sort of rabbi kind of person. When is this? That's such a complicated question. What do you mean okay. when? Do you mean when does this, is the story supposed to take place? Yeah, 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 yeah. When I don't know. I mean, when is, when is there Merlin and rabbis? I mean, the sixth century, there could are. I okay. mean, the rabbis aren't in England, so that messes things up, but. <laughs> okay. There is the time associated with King Arthur, there were no Jews in England. I understand that. That's why I'm asking. When does this take place? Well, it didn't happen, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I know, but usually stories give you a temporal context. I would not make that assumption about medieval miracle stories necessarily, no. Okay, go on. None of the, most of the stories in the Cantigas are not presented as having overtly a temporal context. Okay, go on. Okay, so Merlin and some rabbi, right, are having this argument. And during the argument, uh, the rabbi says, like, the, you know, incarnation, right? So, like, Jesus being uh, born in this human body is, like, real bullshit. And Merlin gets mad. So, Merlin then... Merlin gets mad? Oh, yeah, Merlin is often represented as... Merlin's often represented as being a very good Christian. Nonsense. Go on. All right. So, Merlin prays to the Virgin Mary, right, to... uh, in order to prove everybody who cannot <laughs> see me, I am rolling my eyes. So Merlin prays to the Virgin Mary as Merlin does. And he, when he's praying, right, he says, oh, Virgin Mary, please cause this, this Jewish guy, right, please cause his son to be born with his head on backwards to prove how backwards and stupid the Jews are. Kids born, he is indeed born with his head born, with his head on backwards because Merlin prayed to the Virgin Mary about it. The Jewish father tried to kill the child, because, of course, that's what Jewish fathers do in a lot of miracles of the Virgin Mary. Merlin saves the child and parades it around and gets a bunch of Jews to convert. But does he save it and fix its head? I think he might eventually. Oh dear. Well, sorry. but not immediately because he because for part of the time he's sort of parading it around. So maybe he doesn't. Well, I I don't think I'm going to read more of these stories. I don't like them. No, I spent tons of time teaching them, and they're they're just too confusing as to when they would have taken place. <laughs> they don't care. They didn't care when I Arthur understand. when Arthur didn't care when any of the Arthur stories took place. Every single Arthur story. If we okay, right? If there's a historical King Arthur, right? We're plopping him and say the you know sixth century ish. Read any Arthurian C-E. text. CE. Read any Arthurian text. It makes no sense from that perspective. Arthur obviously exists in a universe which is an idealized version of whenever they're writing the book. I thought he existed during the Rome when the Romans were in Britain. I'm saying if there's a historical Arthur, he would be, you know, basically like just immediate post-Roman Britain. But if you read Chrétien de Troyes, Arthur seems like, oh, he seems like a guy in 12th century France. You read at Laborde to Arthur, Arthur seems like a guy who's in 15th century England. Like nobody's, 
So these nobody are cares. Like the paintings that have Jesus surrounded by a bunch of people in Renaissance yes. outfits. Exactly. Yeah. You, that just they, in their know. heads, okay. they envision everything as just taking place in the 13th century. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Which I includes... mean, it makes sense mentally that that's what people would do. Yeah. That people just didn't like, that just wasn't a goal. Like creating a like historically accurate representation of the sixth century was just not anything that was of interest to people in okay. shaping art in the 13th century. They just assume everything's vaguely in the 13th century. And it's interesting, this movie avoids that whole issue because it all takes place now. Yeah. Uh-huh. But of course, you know, to the extent, right, that it has any kind of references to Arthur, it very much is all like the ideas of Arthur, which are invented in the 12th century and later, which have nothing to do with the real Arthur. If there was a real Arthur. But it also has the, I think the word is obverse of Merlin being locked in a tree because now it's Morgana locked in a tree. Yeah. Yeah. Very clever. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I think can do the Fabula Nostra where we talk about a film or other piece of media inspired by this one. And I'm going to go first because actually what I'm just going to do is I'm just going to basically (laughs) suggest some edits. Okay. My first edit is that I like Merlin, don't get me wrong, but wouldn't it be actually more interesting if instead we replace Merlin with a Lady of the Lake character in the same way as the Lady of the Lake does, in fact, that Nimue does, in fact, in Lamorta Arthur, replace Merlin as the main opponent to Morgana. So I think that would be more interesting and also would give, it would have another female character, which I think this film could do a little better on. Mm-hmm. Also, I think that mom should have been knighted. I think it's very rude that he didn't. I don't understand why he can't knight adults. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I think mom should have been knighted. I think it would have been nice if there was like, I don't know, one teacher who wasn't an asshole who got knighted or something. I I, I don't know. I find this whole like, we have just an exclusively child army. They Hmm? should have had Anthony Head and knighted Anthony Head. Who? (laughs) Also, by the way, Anthony Head and the in the BBC show Merlin played Uther Pendragon. Oh, cool! Oh, then that really would have been a brilliant idea. Thank you. I mean, yeah. he, that Uther was like a real dick, but still. Okay, I've seen him play. I think I saw something where he was a murderer. It really didn't sit right. It it is always very jarring when Anthony Head is is uh, is yeah. terrible. But yes, and the first time I had that experience, yeah, he's just like, he's just a jerk. And as Uther Pendragon. (laughs) But yeah, I think it would have been nice. Maybe like he's like the nice science teacher, right? Who explains the solar eclipse. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wrong, but yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm not going to blame the teacher on that. I'm going to all blame the... Why not literature or history? I mean, it wouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, you could have a, you know, one of those. Sure, that would be great. You could have both. Right. Yeah, he could have had both. He could have had all, he could have had all sorts of teachers. I, I think it would have been nice oh. if there was like a couple of responsible and not trash adults. I can't remember. Was the principal enchanted or not? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. she was just enchanted the whole time. So she, she also doesn't get knighted. Right, but I couldn't remember if she really tried to raise this army or she had no. to be enchanted to do it. No, no she was enchanted. 
Okay. Because we just she shows she she's standing outside. She turns around. Okay. She sees, and you know, and this is reasonable as in one's job as a high school principal right, right, right. that she turns around and sees these four children who are waltzing up into the school playground four hours late and right. carrying swords. And she says, uh, what on earth do you think that you are doing? Which again, perfectly reasonable reaction. Yeah. And then Merlin mind controls her. You know, I think I disagree with you. I think I really like the idea that it's all children, that it's a children's army. And, and that it doesn't have any adults in it. And I think it's nice to have adults in the movie altogether because there are adults in children's lives. But I think the fact that it's, what I don't like is that the children join the army just to get out of classes. That, right. I don't like that. I think they should have done a better job of why the children mm-hmm. want to agree to do this. But other than that, I, I like the idea that it's all kids and then whoever has authority, they have authority just because of who they are and not because they're taller than everybody else. But see, what I actually would have liked is I think it would have been in some ways nicer if the, I feel like the implication is essentially like the adults are always going to be just like try to like control you and bring you down. So you have to just like mind control them and send them off into a corner. I think it would have been nicer if we'd actually had some like persuaded to follow the children's lead. Yeah, no, I'm no, I I hear you, but I I like it with all the kids. I like it, and also there is just something about an army exclusively of children, which is sort of upsetting. Well, it is. I mean, yeah, there's the children's crusade. There's this, there's that. There's which is not a good thing. These aren't good things. Child soldiers is not a good thing. There's (laughs) either Iran or Iraq sending the kids to you know go through the landmines. No, yeah, child soldiers isn't a good thing. Oh yeah, there's there. Oh shoot, they're in, they were in some country some years ago. No, it's a terrible thing. But I think, well, see, one of the things that I like about this movie is that I can watch it and not think of all the horrible <laughs> parallels of childhood. But I mean, this thing is, you know, it's what you've said a gazillion times. These probably these people probably have to have parental notes to you know leave school early for emergency dental work but they can be in an army (laughs) it's a fantasy anyway i think it would have been nice if there were like a couple of decent adults who's you know still said alex you're in charge but you were fighting on the right side i think it would have been nice what would you what would you what would you do well for one thing i would force the networks to bring back a second season of cursed mm-hmm. and i think that would take care of a lot of it because her mm-hmm. name's nimway right yeah so she she's... should turn out to be the lady of the lake that right. except she's merlin's her. daughter now well why can't she be merlin's daughter and the lady of the lake well she can't i just meant that obviously then we get if rid of the other aspects thank goodness she can be the lady of the lake and you have no daughter. idea how it you have no idea how infuriated yes, i am by I that do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. It's like and somebody anyway, just like read the title of the do. book wrong. That's what going <laughs> the green <laughs> Yeah, that's what. I'm, it's like anyway, they I, missed I, I the would, ampersand. <laughs> I would bring back curse, but other than that, I I don't know what I'd change. I I I really like this movie. I mean, I think I would make it even more diverse. I'd have I'd have some disabled people. Mm-hmm. 
And I think I'd, I, I would have more kids. Yeah, that I think I also mean, you could do more like with. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think I would do that. And I, I, I really would like to see the Lady of the Lake get out of the water. <laughs> or else I would like to have a movie with the Lady of the Lake somehow trying on all these different roles and personalities. Sort of that silly movie that I've never seen being John Malkovich. <laughs> and she could be being the lady of the lake and trying to figure out she's oh this guy may painted me that way because there must be a million paintings too and this guy did me that way and and this is what i want to be mm -hmm. so i i think i you know other than bringing back curse i i think i would like a movie about the lady of the lake try, somehow trying on all these identities until she finds the one that really suits her I think that would be very interesting. Thank you. Very cool. Very cool. We can now have our estimatio or ratings section where we rate the film on a scale from one to five based on whatever completely subjective criteria we see fit. So do you, do you want to go first with the rating? Yeah. So in certain ways, I think this movie has some of the greatest lines, though they're a little dinky, uh -huh. on just how to be a good person and how to deal with the fact that no matter what you do, even if you're killing huge demons, the world still sucks. Mm -hmm. And I think it, the whole thing about what does it say? Persevere till the end. Mm -hmm. And you don't know when the end is and it's depressing. And it's frustrating. And you have to keep, I think it, it does such a wonderful job of delivering that message. I think it's funny. I think it's moving. Um, 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 I love this movie and I'm giving it a 4.5. Okay. I found it a lot of ways very charming. I like it as an Arthurian adaptation. I like it as a children's movie. I think that there are very nice things about it. I do have some critiques. Oh, you can't mark it down five points because of the Latin. I am going to mark it down a little because of the Latin. I, also, I still, I find it to be weirdly pro-monarchy. I think the idea, and the idea that, again, as they say in Monty Python, a watery tart distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. I don't think that a, a child finding a sword is a basis for that child having a leadership role. Just as any other. It's very arbitrary. I I don't necessarily buy into uh, that system. And so I, I find that a little weird. I'd like the implicit politics of this are a little weird. And how would and, you avoid that in an Arthurian movie with Excalibur? I, I mean, I think it's inherently a flaw, right? I think <laughs> okay. it is inherently a problem with the idea of saying, I, I think it's a problem with the once and future king concept, right? Is that it implies yeah, that there should be a future where we have a king. And I think we shouldn't have a future uh, where we okay. have a king or a queen or anyone else okay. who has that kind of arbitrary, unlimited authority. I don't think it's a good thing. So I, I do think that is an inherent flaw of probably pretty much anything. I don't know how I would fix that, but pretty much anything that is like putting an Arthurian once in future King narrative into the present. I, I don't know how you would get around that, but I do think it's flawed. The other thing that I 
wish the film had done a bit differently is that we have this like bit, right? Where we have this kind of reference to, you know, here are the kids' weaknesses, right? And then they grow, right. but we don't really get a sense of their inner lives. So, you know, okay. I'm like, I don't understand. I don't understand like why they're like this in the first place, especially um, Lance and Kay, but I think it's an interesting idea that they have this, right? That they have the turning your ally, your enemies into your allies. But they I feel like then if you're- that. And they explain why they switch sides, but I don't think we get a sense really of uh, why they're, they are the way they are. Yes, they do. Somebody yells at them and says, you're like this because you're afraid. You're weak. You're afraid, et cetera, et cetera. And, but that's and something that Alex, Alex yells at that, but yes, that's like the yes. assumption that we get, but like, we don't, we don't know where that comes from. I don't know anything oh, okay. about their lives. I don't know anything about okay. their families, right? Like we, okay. we know so little about these other kids. Nothing. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that that could have been done better. And I think that's especially the case when right then you do have a situation where like, you know, our main character, right, is this like white guy. And so then he has like these, you know, and so then it's like, okay, so like the only meaningful female character we have, we really know nothing next to nothing about her. Like we know next to nothing about like either of our two major characters of color. Like, so, uh, you know, I think that that could have been done better. I think I'm going to give it a 3.5. You know, I'm a harsh critic. Yeah, but I understand that. But I don't think you weigh enough your enjoyment as you're watching it. Too much mind, too little heart. (laughs) Excalibur won't choose me then. (laughs) I don't think so, but you can be one of the teachers. (laughs) I'll be the one saying... They really, really have to like do this review today. Okay. Come on. Come on. Yep. But no, yeah. So, but, but no, actually, I am, I am sort of serious. Those things are flawed mm-hmm. and things are enjoyable and they both need to be weighed because all in all, it's a movie. Yeah. And, you know, when, as I said, all I'm, I think a 3.5 is the rating that I think is fair, but I wouldn't say don't watch this movie. I'd say it's a perfectly pleasant movie to watch. Maybe if you watch it with your children, make sure to have a conversation with them about how you feel about monarchies. <laughs> yeah, it's a good day for that. Yeah. It won't be by the time this comes out. I mean, well, who knows, but who knows what will be happening by the time things come out. I don't I know. Think, Charles doesn't look that healthy. I think September 19th is the coronation. This will be out well after that. Oh, okay. um, did I tell you? I think I, uh, I think I jinxed the queen because I made a joke about the future King Charles III like an hour before she died. She was ninety six and very ill. I don't think you can take the blame. I know, but yeah, because I was. Everybody's uh, always making jokes about Charles. I wouldn't let your father make some of them after she died. I don't want to hear him for the ninety ninth time. <laughs> Is it the tampon one? Yes, I'm sure that's what he was going to say. Okay, so is it you or Deb? Because like a lot Are of Americans still recording. Yeah, we'll stop in a second. Okay, it's a lot of okay. A lot of Americans apparently do not know this, and I know this because you, my parents, made sure to Everybody share this information knows. with me. Oh, no, I don't think you. you're kidding. Where were they? Everybody knows that, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if you're my age, it was like you weren't 
paying attention to the news when that, and certainly not news where people talked about, you know, sexy letters. It's um, a love letter. You're, you don't know about, <laughs> oh dear. I thought everybody knew. I mean, I know, I know about this because you, my parents, made sure to share this with me. Most people my age seem we to talk not about it this. all. Where are their parents? I mean, really. I mean, we talk about it all the time because <laughs> it was like one of the most disgusting things anybody ever said in a love letter. I know. I just, I, I find it, I find it funny that not all American parents made sure to impart this information I, to I their children think, when they reached an appropriate age. I, I think that's child neglect. <laughs> I think everybody needs to know that, that the future, I mean, there, you need to know he said that. You need to know Harry dressed up as a Nazi. These things are, you know, should be common knowledge. <laughs> And now they found an old news, an old photograph of the real Nazi uncle, mm-hmm. Edward something or another. Right, the Queen's uncle. Yeah. And her Late mother, queen. her mother is, the, became the Queen Mother, but she was nobody before then, right? Yeah, and, yeah I mean, I don't and, know where she's and from. Elizabeth, but, yeah. when she was maybe seven, all during Nazi salutes in the 30s. I mean, there's also the bit about how at some point after she became queen, she like adjusted a bunch of the like rules such that she didn't have to hire any like non-white servants. So. No, uh, yeah, no, uh, she didn't adjust them. They just, they just said, well, Sarah's like Congress. Right. None of these rules apply to her. None right. of these discrimination rules apply to Congress. They exempt themselves from everything. But I, that's what I was reading, that in the 60s, they did this sort of study, and it was very clear that people of color were allowed to do domestic work. Right. Which basically right. probably means women. But yeah, domestic work only. Right. Yeah, so that, yeah, she got out of the rule that she might have to, like, hire a person of color. They all do. I mean, as I said, so does Congress. I think, I don't know if it's still true, but it was true forever until yesterday. It's probably still true. They're they're exempt from any number of rules and laws that were put in for common decency. Right. Well, on that cherry note, thank you, Mom, for guesting. (laughs) You're so Are there... But I... What? 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 Do you have more things to say or can we outro? Can we what? <laughs> can we end? Can we do the things where we, that we do at the end? It's called we an outro end, as opposed to an intro. I still don't think this is a pro-monarchy movie, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. We can argue some other time. <laughs> okay. Are there places the listeners could find you on the internet? I'm all over the internet. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on, is that it? Instagram? Mm-hmm. I'm I don't know. Are you on Instagram? You're not on Instagram. Yeah, and that's how I never posted anything I, on Instagram. No, but I, I read about that nice dog who died. You're on Instagram, like always on Instagram. Like you never actually posted anything. You just technically have an Instagram account. I'm not sure I know how to post anything on Instagram. <laughs> but yes, I, I, I follow various things. I follow a lot of food things on Instagram because mm-hmm. they have pretty pictures. Do you know what and, your Twitter uh, handle is? It's probably... It's probably Beth G20904, if it's not my I think name. that's correct, yeah. Yep, yeah, I think okay. that's correct. I don't post any. I, I just like things. 
<laughs> if you've enjoyed I'm this around, I'm around. If you really need me, just ask there. All right. Yes, I will put you in touch. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. I'll read new five-star reviews in future episodes. And please follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join the Facebook group. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah H. Decker. And if you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. So mom, thank you again. This was the outro. Thank you. I really enjoyed the outro and then the rest of the experience. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening to Media Evil. Bye. You're a king, Alexander. The sword chose you. Why would we help you? Because you're the strongest people I know. You're my knights. And this is the round team. Quick, Bettis, lift up the flaps. Oh my God, you're such a nerd. This is destiny. Every story we ever read. Luke Skywalker, Harry Potter, something amazing happens. And they find out they're descended from magical families. Mom, don't freak out, okay? Who will join us? This is the best thing that's ever happened. All hail the once and future king. Please don't. It's embarrassing.